Today FM. It's that time of the week again. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the Dermot and Dave Show Best of Podcast. Aye, aye. But not if you're driving. Definitely don't sit back. In fact, sit up now. Hi, guys. Welcome to the Best of Ireland Podcast with Dermot and Dave. It's Tony Guy. <laughs> <laughs> Who is that? Uh, I used to do a character called uh, Tony. Uh, Tony. Dazzle, yes. who was like a, an uh, over-the-hill game show host who was brought back to do a special podcast. Um, Tony Dazzle, that's right. He had tried to cover up his rural accent over many years, uh, but sometimes it just crept out. <laughs> a bit of Pat Short in the back of that's that. Right. <laughs> that's right. Uh, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Best of Ireland podcast, put together by Emer and nobody else. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it is uh, all like wonderfully Irish things that we covered over the years and that's what you know makes us who we are and it's important to celebrate these special moments that we have with you our wonderful listeners and uh, talk about all these crazy things a lot happened this year of very interesting Irish people we've met this year yeah we met the woman in her 60s who was going on her first J1 that was pretty cool yeah. oh yeah that was uh, Fiona Griffin uh, Karen Weeks what an incredible woman she rode the Atlantic solo, which is absolutely incredible. And also, Ireland's only ever Gladiators winner, Audrey Garland. I am oh. obsessed with... Can I tell... I don't know if we actually spoke about the backstory to this when we did it on air, but when I was a child, I was obsessed with Gladiators and I used to watch it every Saturday. And then she's from my local area. She's from uh, up the road from me. Mm. So for years, I would see the car that she won, which she talks <laughs> about in the interview and how it was actually a really big pain to get at home. <laughs> but I would see the car driving around. I'm like, Mom, that's the woman who won Gladiator. And she had that car for, until I was well into my 20s, like for at least 15 years after she won Gladiator. And every time I saw that car, I'm like, the one who won Gladiator and she, I never she got good before. use out of it anyway, she did yeah. it was a green a green little Ford don't think it was a convertible very distinctive looking car mm. but my entire life and then when Gladiators was coming back I was like we have to get this woman on so I tracked her down don't know how and then I rang her I was like I'm from down the road <laughs> your neighbours so still have a restraining order now but like you know worth I, it. I just can't believe that they didn't send the car over them, the Gladiator people so you say it was a pain for her to get the car home. Yeah, so, she had so to... she, it got caught with like v, like VRT and all like the really like tax things because yeah. they weren't anticipating it being an Irish winner, obviously. The bit they don't call out on the telly. Yeah. yeah. You've won the car and you'll have to suffer through many VRT form filling out things and <laughs> yeah. uh, there'll be hefty prices to pay. And Enjoy. if you try and sell it, you're going to lose a lot of value on it. So you're better <laughs> off bringing it home with the car and taking the hit tax-wise. Gosh. <laughs> uh, we met Limerick's biggest hurling fan. Uh, we heard what happened when Ollie Murs drank in Nicky Burns' local and we'd Pat Short on telling us, oh my God, it's such an incredible, embarrassing sleepwalking story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So good. That was the best. Yeah. That, was, yeah. that was the highlight. I think the people involved are still shook from the event. Yeah. That was like 20 years ago. <laughs> they got t-shirts made and all, you know that? I was in contact with the, the, woman, the family, when you hear the story, but the family that Pat Short... Uh, it, it entered into their room. Uh, they all went to one of Pat's uh, gigs. Uh, I don't know in the last couple of weeks or so. And she sent me a photo. She met Pat, and they all have T-shirts saying, "Oh, uh, this is the everybody just calm down." Yeah, did you? You got what said? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I've been wearing it. <laughs> Everyone just calm down. Just calm down. <laughs> anyway, you hear that story in full, and loads of other stuff as well. Enjoy. This is the Dermot and Dave Best of Ireland podcast. Put together by our email. 
Maria, how are you? Hi, I'm good, thanks. Is it true you turned down Matthew McConaughey for the shift? I did. Well, sorry, no, he did shift me. Oh. I turned down going any further. Okay, well, look, details, please. We're all settling in with our cups of tea and our biscuits now. Everyone, turn off the washing machine. Don't answer the front door. Put the dog out the back. We need the details on this. So go for Maria. When, where, what, how? Well, it was, oh, must have been 2000, and, 2000, 2001, when they were in Dublin, they were filming Rain of Fire. That's right. I think at that time, he did he have a shaved head at that time? He did, and he had all the fake tattoos. He, he was quite unrecognisable. Mm. Um, and I was working in the Morrison Hotel uh, at the time. Um, I think it was my, yeah, my first year in Ireland. I moved from Estonia to Ireland at the time to work as a bartender there. Uh, and yeah, they were staying in the hotel with the crew, the director and everybody. So yeah, I met him at the bar. Uh, he asked for um, Grey Goose, which wasn't sold in Ireland at the time. So then in the evening, he brought a bottle of Grey Goose behind the bar. Uh, he had his own <laughs> bottle of vodka there. <laughs> um, and yeah, just chatting. And he was like, he was staying in the hotel most of the time, chatting with all the staff there and uh, asked where to go for a drink. And at the time, we were finishing bar, so uh, the work so late. There wasn't many places left open. Um, and it was the Viper Rooms that was still open. Do you know the place? I remember it's, the place on the keys there. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, kind of place where bartenders and taxi drivers used to go for a drink. <laughs> yeah, and wasn't there a connection to the fun-loving criminals, I think, uh, in terms no, of... I think that's another bar in Temple Bar that they owned. Okay, all right, stop. Forget my diversion. Back to the story. <laughs> so you end up yes, going for a late I mean, pint with Matthew. Yes, all right, all right. Multiple times, yeah. And... Uh, with, with other uh, staff members as well, not just me. There was loads of us going for drinks with him and his crew members. Um, he also, his stuntman Mark, had actually he didn't stay in the hotel. He had a penthouse apartment rented opposite the Christchurch. So we went there a few times as well, and so it was just <laughs> drinking every night with <laughs> all the staff, like his crew members and the staff from the Morrison Hotel. But yes, one evening, uh, walking back to the Morrison Hotel. He pushed me against the wall and kissed me. <laughs> oh, wow! And and so and like, did he? Did he say? I mean, people are kind of many people listening might have pictured what Matthew would sound like as he's oh, he's saying, oh, "All right, hey, Maria." It's too hard to be around him like this, you know. <laughs> so, so there was no chat up line. No, like, I think you're a gorgeous girl. Oh, all right, no, there was no, nothing. No. It was just straight in. <laughs> Very much straight in, yes. Okay, and, and so the kiss ends, uh, then what happens? Oh, yes, it was very much sort of me cringing, going, oh no, I'm going out with this guy, I can't, and, you know, just walked away. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and he went into his hotel room. I think he probably picked somebody else up on the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, a lot of people would have morals and ethics until Matthew McConaughey kisses them, and then you might park them, you know, for a while. Like, was we attempted? Oh, very much so. But the worst thing is that I, I ended up cheating on that boyfriend months down the line anyway. Oh, no, with someone who wasn't Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> Actually, I'm married to the man now. Oh, okay. Well, that's something. But does it, you know, late at night when you're lying in bed, the lights are off, do you ever daydream back to that moment and think what could have been? 
definitely. <laughs> no offence to Never the hubby, but you could be turning around going, Matthew, what do you want for breakfast, love? <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely, yes. Well, do you know what? He was, uh, to my memory, he was such a ladies' man at the time. He was single, so he was just picking up girls left, right, and center. So I don't know. I probably would have been just another one of them. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people wouldn't have an issue with that. They're quite happy to be a notch. <laughs> would have been a nice memory, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know what? You did the right thing, uh, at least for that moment. A month later, obviously, things fell apart. Uh, but uh, fair play to you. Uh, lovely to talk to you, Maria. Thanks so much. Bye, bye. Uh, wow, what would you have done in that case? What would you have done if Matthew McConaughey kissed you and you had a boyfriend? Would you be... Ten- well, I, it depends on the boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> depends on a lot of things. How long the boyfriend was on the scene, yeah. what the boyfriend was like, how he treated you. Which one he was. Yeah, how yeah, many yeah. grey gooses you had in your system. <laughs> That's a whole lot of factors, you know. Last May, we spoke to Karen Weeks, a sports psychologist and lecturer at Munster Technology University who was planning on setting off to become the first Irish woman to row the Atlantic solo. Yep, you're not hearing things. We're hopefully joined by Karen, who is somewhere in the Atlantic. Good morning, Karen. How are you? How are things? How are you getting on? God, the line is incredible. You're in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean and we can hear you better than we can hear somebody down the road from us. <laughs> it's unbelievable and actually most of the calls are on WhatsApp because uh, I have a unit here on the boat and the WhatsApp calls are phenomenal, you know So where are you exactly right now? So right now I am 1,242 nautical miles west of the Canaries so I'm about oh, just over 2,000 kilometres uh, west of the Canaries in the middle of the Atlantic And in terms of overall progress where would that put you on your incredible effort to row across the Atlantic? How far are you? Uh, I am literally, I would say, about 110 miles from the middle of my uh, road. So I'm halfway, oh, just about okay. halfway. Right. Can you see any wildlife around you? Obviously, there's no birds out that far, is there? Yeah, there's birds out this far for sure. Like I, I'm, It's really, really calm here today and all around me is... Um, it's like an aquarium, actually. There's like dradafish and other types of rats and stuff like that. And then there's storm petrels sort of pass by. You know, they eat the plankton off the top of the water. So I've had a couple of storm petrels, actually, baby storm petrels landed sorry, in. Well, on tell us what, a, and what I, a storm petrel is. I don't know what that is. Oh, sorry. A storm petrel is, it's like, a, it's a little bird. It's like a little sort of blackbirdy thing. But uh, obviously it lives out in the sea and um it eats the plankton off the top of the water. But there was uh, two of them arrived on the deck uh, the other night and they were babies and they were like just like little bags of bones. So they stayed with me for three days and uh, but they didn't make it. They got swamped by a wave on board, you know. But and there's... Um, well, one of the yeah. things I wondered was, you know, whether or not birds would see you uh, as, uh, you know, a floating island, as it were, and would land and kind of spend some time with you. Yeah, they really do. Like, there was a, like earlier on, I'd say maybe I was about 500 miles out to sea and there was a gull definitely was taking a rest. I could hear the clatter on top of the cabin and I looked out and I could see his little clawed feet. Yeah, so there's a lot of bird life. Um, 
but there's an awful lot of dolphins and whales and sharks and I, my famous story and getting great reception on Facebook and those things is I clock a hammerhead shark on the head with my <laughs> oar. <laughs> the last time we spoke to you before you left we did ask you about this and this is what you said if a whale comes and knocks me out of the boat <laughs> fair play to him but I will be I'll, I'll have a leash attached to the boat at all times so I'll never be unleashed mm. from the boat so then I just pulled myself back into the boat. So we were thinking whales, but you actually encountered and battered hammerhead shark on the head. <laughs> yeah, I was just, do you know what happened was I was rowing, it was uh, the New Year's Eve actually, and I was rowing along and I hadn't seen a boat for about two weeks and I saw a sailboat on the horizon. So I was, I'd set up the GoPro for the sailboat, you know, just because I could see they were sailing towards me and... I was looking out the left-hand side of the boat, and then I just pumped something pretty hard with my right oar, and I looked over to the right, and there was the hammerhead. And then he flung under the boat and came over to the left-hand side, so I actually got lovely GoPro footage of him. Wow. He sort of tailed me for about 10 minutes, and uh, yeah, geez, he was scary, but it's a great story afterwards, mm. that's for sure. Tell us about the German <laughs> boat you came across. Yeah, so that German boat, but that was that sailboat actually I'm just chatting about. Uh, so they just, uh, I saw them on the horizon and I just clunked that hammerhead. So I just called them up on the radio just as a bit of support really initially. And they came down and it was my birthday uh, that day and they came down, they sailed down towards me. Uh, a guy, Ziggy was his name, a very nice guy and his crew. And they sang me happy birthday and they filled up a plastic bag full of air and put sort of apple tarty stuff, spongy stuff in it and set it afloat and over to me and that was my birthday cake then. So, uh, <laughs> oh, that's so cool, that's this so little brilliant. random meeting in the middle of the ocean. Yeah, and they were the first people, they were the first humans I'd seen for 21 days and I'm on day 38 now and they're the last humans I've seen. Wow. So, uh, wondering who the next humans will be now. Well, that, one of my <laughs> questions was definitely going to be how are you coping with both the physical side of rowing the entire ocean, but also the mental side of the solitude? Yeah, uh, the physical side, um, yeah, it's hard work, you know, you, uh, the, uh, whenever you stop rowing, the, the boat stops moving, really, so you have to keep rowing, uh, but that's fine, you know, I'm in a sort of a routine of that now. Uh, mentally, I'm doing pretty good, yeah. Um, in relation to people, yeah, of course, I miss my buddies, miss all that sort of stuff, but one of the things that we put a lot of work into before I left was um, a thing called a Sally's Unit, and I got it sponsored by, MTU actually sponsored it, and it's the most... Um, and Voyager IP uh, but it's the most amazing piece of kit in that I can talk to people on land and uh, I can talk to my friends and that re especially during storms or during tougher times and that really makes a huge huge difference uh, and without that I think if I wasn't talking to people I'd find it really really hard mm. definitely yeah. yeah well I think that's one of the things that's affected so many people just even since COVID with isolation and lockdowns and people working from home they're really really missing that human contact whether they're aware of it or not and it must be amplified for you if you're out at sea uh, so when are you hoping to reach land where will you set down so I'm heading for Barbados um, and I uh, would hope to be there in I was hoping 70 days I'd say really because I, I'm I'd say about 75 days to answer your question and the reason it's a bit slower than I anticipated is uh, like I'm sitting here in total flat cam in the middle of the Atlantic and uh, usually at this stage the trade winds have kicked in 
you know, they're sort of the dominant winds that bring mm. the old sailing ships and all that sort of stuff over. But they're just not kicking in as early this year for anybody. And um, so that's why I'm just rowing mile by mile by mile instead of getting hooshed by the wind, which would be lovely. But uh, So that's why it's going to take a bit longer. So I'm, it's dependent on when the trades kick in, really. That'll determine when I'll actually arrive in Barbados. Does it just push your, kind of, your back in terms of, like, because, I mean, I suppose maybe, I don't, maybe people don't have a good picture of what the boat is like, but, I mean, you don't have sails or anything, do you? No, I don't have sails, but the front cabin is higher than the back cabin. It's not that mm. high, like, it's not that high, but it definitely uh, will help. You know, so anything, I suppose, that hits the back of the boat or the front of the boat, or it'll just hoosh the boat in the, in the right direction. Yeah. So, like, I'll still be full-on rowing, there's absolutely no doubt about that, but these boats really were designed for downwind sailing, so having the wind behind you, and that will help you uh, gather up the speed. So, like, mm. currently I'm doing around... Two, 2.5 knots rowing and once I get the wind and everything like that I should be getting 6, 7 knots so oh, that's wow. a big difference really yeah, big difference. Yeah. Yeah. have you eaten all the nice biscuits by now? <laughs> oh, do you know what's funny the chocolatey things I just I'm not mad about now <laughs> I think it's just too hot and I'm missing sort of more savoury stuff. Uh, the rehydrated food is is rehydrated food. But, uh, yeah, no, the chocolate is stuffed there now, to be fair. Yeah, so somebody somebody needs to send out a shepherd's pie to you ASAP. Yeah, God, that would be gorgeous. That really would be gorgeous. Yeah, if you could come across one of the big U.S. Navy ships that have a you know, chef on board feeding a thousand people on, a, on an aircraft carrier or something, they could definitely lower you down something. Oh, that'd be lovely. Yeah, that's a great idea. I must have a look for that. <laughs> um, will there be anybody there in Barbados to welcome you? I just I have this kind of image of you sort of just gliding up onto a beach, getting out of your boat and going, oh yeah, uh, I just rode across the Atlantic and <laughs> nobody really caring. Will there be a welcoming party? Uh, do you know what? It's funny because there was 28 of my friends came to Port McGann, the place in the Canaries, to see me off. It was unbelievable. I have an amazing team behind me, but uh, a lot of my buddies came out as well. So I think a good whack of them are hoping to get to Barbados as well. So oh, I, and my family are going to be with us. So I'd say, Era, you know what? There'll be a few anyway, and uh, it'll be lovely to see them for sure. We can um, have a couple of cool beers to celebrate, you know? Yeah. yeah. Do you allow yourself any alcohol while you're on the boat, just on, of an evening? when you're kind of para-anchored up somewhere? Uh, I bought four cans of Dorada, sort of a local Spanish beer. I bought four cans of Dorada uh, for along the way, but two of those burst. So <laughs> I've only two. Uh, so I had one birthday, and which is... Oh no, I had one on Christmas Day, sorry. I had one on Christmas Day, and I'm going to have the other one mid-Atlantic. So hopefully in a couple of days, I'll okay. have the second one. If that <laughs> we'll, we'll say cheers now for yeah. when you're having it. <laughs> I have to get the lads with the uh, in Supermax with the drone to send some stuff out to you. That's what you really need, isn't it? Uh, well, listen, Karen, we are amazed at your progress so far. You're so upbeat about the whole thing. It cannot be easy either physically or mentally, but you're doing an amazing job. And look, if you're 5 or 10 or 15 days later than you planned, what difference does that make? Your mates will be there waiting for you and your team and everyone to say congratulations. As We're long up. as you're safe. Uh, yeah. If people want to follow it, they can follow it on shecando2021.org and all the Facebook and all that sort of stuff. But also, um, we're raising money for Laura Lynn, 
and the RLI. So if anybody would like to donate to that, they can go onto the website and go into GoFundMe. It would be really appreciated too. Good causes, you know. Absolutely. Well, well done uh, for going to all this effort to raise such amazing money. Uh, she can do 2021 is the hashtag to follow. And you can also follow Karen's boat. It's called Millie. And uh, you can see it on Marine Traffic's website, marinetraffic.com. So you can see the little bleep. Blip. You see where you are. And there's also, there's also a tracker, a YB tracker. They can get the link for that on the uh, website as well. There's a, an Brilliant. actual tracker. You can see the specific boat. But thanks a million for talking to me today, you guys. Not at all, Karen. Thanks for talking to us and fair play to you. The whole country is behind you. We're all blowing your direction to make sure to get that tra- those trade winds on your back and up your knots. <laughs> Good on you. Right. You're, you're not talking to a volleyball just yet, are you? <laughs> <laughs> sounds like you're keeping it together lovely to talk to you Karen safe rowing thank you very much guys take it easy all the talk best bye Paul on Twitter says I've driven since the day I turned 17 manuals automatics left hand drive right hand drive US Australia Germany vans trucks and even a tuk tuk in Thailand wow and still I go into an absolute blind panic anytime I find myself at the Walkinstown roundabout <laughs> I can totally relate to that because (laughs) there's always some bit of a road that just gets you. For me, Walkinstown Roundabout, I actually say... I'm I'm fine with it. Well, to, any, hang on, to anyone who doesn't know Walkinstown Road, we should try and basically describe it for people. It's it's simple. It's a roundabout. However, instead of having two or three or four roads, it must have at least nine roads Plus, in and off it. it. It's like a magnet for aggressive van drivers. <laughs> like it, it, you really have to just. Believe, and I when I go to the walking center, I'm like, okay, I got this. You just you you gotta you be confident. You know, get out there. You can't be timid. And I kind of enjoy that experience. However, however, there is another road, another thing that would send me into the same blind panic that Paul the walking town does for Paul. Mm-hmm. The Dunkettle Interchange. And for anyone who doesn't <laughs> know, this again. is this massive roundabout as you're coming into Cork. And you always hear oh, it on a Roadwatch yeah, yeah, Road type Watch. reports. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because um, the traffic is usually muck around there, particularly around rush hour. <clears throat> so if we're ever going down to Cork to do our show or do live shows or whatever, yeah. you, you can't avoid you it. You can't, no. Um, and if you don't get your turn right, and Google Maps just doesn't seem to play ball when you're coming in, you're like, is it, is it this one? <laughs> yeah. And then if you go, I have to get up here, then suddenly you're in the Jack Lynch tunnel. <laughs> and you're like, no! It's going to take me four days to get back. <laughs> So the Dunkettle Interchange, <laughs> horrendous. I think, and this is going to sound a bit weird, but the road that I hate the most in Ireland is the Ring of Kerry, the N70. And I know it's be- like, I know it's beautiful, right? Mm. I know it's stunning, but it is narrow in places. It's like one car narrow. And <clears throat> the last few years when I've been down driving the beautiful Ring of Kerry, I've been in a rather large car because I have lots of children and it's a wide big thing whatever and I've driven that a couple of times and I don't see any scenery all I see is the steering wheel and the bit of road in front of me and I'm constantly going get into the side oh Jesus <laughs> and at one point I drove and this is an accident I drove up the gap of Dunlow which is like you're not even supposed to drive it's only for locals and I drove up there and I had to do some kind of long reverse for about 200 metres do an Austin Powers yeah. 50 point turn oh, it, was, it was terrible so there's, there's another road actually and I think uh, if anyone has ever been to the Costa del Sol mm. on their holidays 
they will know that main road that runs right along. So from Malaga right to Marbella, Porto Belus yeah, and beyond. Yeah. That thing, if you're like being on it is okay once you're moving, uh-huh. you're in the flow, but trying to get onto it. Uh, like there's it's not like a normal road here where you kind of gently feed in no. and then you kind of gather your speed and then you can just <laughs> indicate this is just all or nothing yeah. like go 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 yeah. and the trucks like they don't care they'll just wipe you out there <laughs> and <laughs> my uh, folks used to have a place over there and they had a car that was there and it was an automatic Opel Corsa wow I think it was like a one litre or something <laughs> So basically, if you stuck your foot to the floor, nothing happened for about three seconds. Then it would go... (laughs) So you're trying to get out onto this road and you go, floor it! And then, nothing! We're all going to die! And it's like... (laughs) Oh my God, that road is so terrifying. So I wonder if, like Paul... Um, there is any place, whether be it like a windy country road in Ireland, is mm. it a junction? Is it a roundabout? Maybe it's just the cul-de-sac at the you know the end of your road. Uh, you can let us know on oh eight seven four one hundred one or two. Where are the places in this country or beyond? that terrify you, even though you think you're quite a competent driver. A lot of people are saying that the Rockies and Roundabout is is completely insane. Apparently, there are only six roads in and out of the walks and roundabout but on each of the six roads when you get on there are three lanes which means there are effectively 18 lanes of traffic on the walks and yeah, roundabout yeah but it also means that you're able to whatever lane you're in <clears throat> you're able to get off into an into a lane do you yeah, know what I mean you're yeah. not but the problem is, as Dermot was talking about on Renvest, sometimes when you, especially if you're using Google Maps or anything and you're yeah. going somewhere, Google Maps is great and, and, and SatNav is great, but it can often be just like that nanosecond behind where it goes like 100 metres, 50 metres. Oh no, it was there! Yeah. And then, mm-hmm. then you're stuck going back around the but walking But you know what? The trick for the walking time roundabout is just to use the middle lane. <laughs> And yeah. your indicators. Yeah. That's the, that's how I work. Well, the it. problem is nobody knows how to indicate properly on the roundabout. So <clears throat> you always get beeped on that roundabout because yeah. by someone who doesn't know how to use the roundabout. <laughs> but they use it every day, so they just feel like it's their place. Someone, Leroy says you plan your lane discipline for the walk and sound roundabout about three weeks in advance. <laughs> and in your sleep, you practice. And if you have to take an unfamiliar exit, you basically get onto the M50, go all the way around and approach from the other side. <laughs> yeah. I bet you they have Walkinstown roundabout simulators like they have an F1. You know, where van drivers just sit into them at home and uh, practice going around the roundabout. Imagine if, times. You, if you live nearby. And that was your, like when you were learning to drive. Imagine the walkers and around of it was oh, part of your learning. Oh, you'd be a driving. Yeah, yeah you'd be, nothing would terrify you after that. In fairness. <laughs> Michael says, I drive a 55-seater coach on the road from Ennis Diamond to the Cliffs of Moher. It still scares oh, me. God. Uh, yeah, I, how would the guys who drive the big coaches go on all those windy country Atlantic, wild Atlantic way roads? I suppose they're fine because they're in the big vehicles. The rest <laughs> of us should be terrified. But <laughs> I, I imagine being at your first day on the job driving a coach down those narrow roads. You'd be terrified. Maria, is there one that gets you? Um, I'm at my most terrified driving through the town of Edenderry. Where you live? Where I live, because they've a couple of painted on roundabouts. Uh, no, one, no one obeys them. If they're painted on the road, people just drive straight over them. You always see the black tyre marks across I the I do in the morning. In the morning, if there's no one around, I just yeah. keep driving. Um, <laughs> but uh, straight after two of them, there are uh, pedestrian crossings. So you know the way, oh. so I'm I'm sitting at this painted roundabout waiting to see, can I go, is there anything coming? Then I go, 
there's nothing coming quick go 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 and then you're like Aah! like there's somebody on the jam your brakes yeah because right. it's right after it absolutely terrifies me <laughs> that's understandable well obviously because you could imagine how the somebody. pedestrians feel trying yeah. to walk across the road <laughs> someone yeah. says has to be the road to Keane Beach my nerves with its randomly placed sheep yeah this is an incredible place in the west of Ireland it's one of oh. the most beautiful beaches I've ever been to but you are driving on again single car roads yeah there are sheep just everywhere and then you meet a car the other way and there's nothing either of you can do except drive. And the drive. sheep are just like whatever. Yeah, they don't care. It's like on the Curra. I hate driving the Curra because for that reason the sheep everywhere and always in the back of my head don't they say the sheep own the land? <laughs> that they that they're in the right. You're in the wrong driving yeah, it. You don't want to be driving over a sheep. Yeah, and they, they're daredevil sheep so they're like I'm just going to wait until she's like a second away and then I'm going to dash. And you're like oh God. Yeah, there's nothing more insulting than the look a sheep gives you. <laughs> through the windscreen <laughs> just like go on I dare you <laughs> the Kinsale roundabout is getting a lot of votes I don't know the Kinsale roundabout does anyone know that one no, in here I don't know that one because it's getting a lot of votes in as one of the most terrifying roundabouts knocking around the place uh, someone's got a bad joke I'm really afraid of those red roads you always see bikes on they're really dangerous because they're psychopaths Psycho, psycho, psychopaths. Oh, psychopaths. 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 Okay. Yeah, My yeah. fear is the red cow. Am I going north or south on the M50? It oh, doesn't matter how many times I'm in it. And that terrifies me as well. And I know where I should be going. But you kind of go, imagine if this wasn't the way. There's no way of getting across to the other side. But you ever just go on to the M50 and then you have one of those, oh my God, I'm going the wrong <laughs> way. And you go, no, it's, it's fine. <laughs> oh no, it's not fine. <laughs> no, it's fine. You are going, no. <laughs> you know the way. Because you know the way you always go to the red cow and go on the N7. Like that's always the thing if you're going somewhere out of Dublin. And then sometimes if you're going on the N4, I get on, I get, I get head straight for the N4 and then, Go off onto the M50 and head down to the M7. And we're like, what am I doing? I'm completely <laughs> going the wrong direction. Is there a kind of turf wars between the N7ers and the N4s? Uh, you're, you're an N4. I'm an N4. My sister's an N7. No, the N7 have worse traffic, so us N4 people feel bad for them. You get out quicker. Oh, we get, yeah. Slightly <laughs> smug about it. <laughs> I'm not sure how great it was for our Cahill, who, of course, we set the challenge because he revealed to us uh, about a week and a half ago that he'd never been in a big parade. So we sent, sent him the biggest parade we could possibly find in uh, the world. But they said no, and then they kept saying no until we got him into... Coot Hill County Cavan. That was the parade that Cahill went to. Uh, you guys then set him a number of challenges. We asked you, <laughs> what would you like to see Cahill do in the Coot Hill St. Patrick's Day Parade? And you gave him five things. Cahill, do you want to remind everybody of what you had to do in the parade? I had to uh, play around the on the tin whistle. Yeah. I had to um, wear my Tipperary gear. Bearing in mind, Tip had just beaten Cavan in the football only a week <laughs> yeah, previous. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Was, that was mentioned to me. Uh, I had to... <laughs> oh, the worst. Like, this call is a cutie pie thing that's starting to follow me around now. <laughs> I had to chant that. Get people uh, to chant with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was... Oh, Hurley is a baton. Oh, you have to throw that up in the yeah. sky, yeah. And then Irish dancing, wasn't it? Irish dancing. Well, Carl, let's let's talk us through the day. So you, you obviously, it was a long day. It was a long day, lads. What time? (laughs) What time is the parade in Coot Hill? It was three o'clock. Three o'clock. Yeah. So I didn't sleep 
all week. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, did it, when you got there, did anybody know? Like, did they? Like, did people know that you were coming to the parade? Yeah. The the second we pulled into the town, the Garda pulled in right beside us, and I was like, "Oh, am I not supposed to park here?" He goes, "No, we've been waiting for you." <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so, the, so you were welcomed. Yeah. At the no. Start. In fairness, I was welcomed. You know what? Everyone felt so sorry for me. That was the thing. Oh, okay. So actually, it kind of, you know, worked out in my favour. Okay, so it they thought you were so mean. But it wasn't just us, else. it was the listeners yeah. as well. Yeah, oh no, like like they, they looked after me, like as much as they could, like they could just tell I was really uncomfortable for about three hours solid. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> talk us through then what happened. So like, so the parade, did the parades kind of start and move on and you had to just join or were you given a, like a slot in the parade going, Carl, this is your space? I was given a slot, yeah, but the, but the, the, the rain started, started pelting down and things kind of got a bit hectic. So I ended up just like falling in behind like this marching band and GA team. I didn't know where I was supposed to be standing. <laughs> they didn't even know. And some of them, a lot of them people d- d- didn't know why I was just standing there. <laughs> You know, that, that was what we were waiting for. That's what we wanted more than anything was the bemused faces of the Coot Hill residents as Cahill just started to do things that made no uh, sense to anyone except us. Yeah, there was like so many confused lads outside the pub wondering. And I obviously had a costume change was one part of the task. Oh yeah, what did you start so, off in? So I, so I started off in my green um, bloody Patrick's Day suit. It was absolutely <laughs> very fetching. Yeah, yeah, very fetching uh, outfit, and then of course you you stripped off that, yeah. and then revealed your Tipperary gear underneath. Revealed the Tipperary gear underneath, but I had to do that like summer, so I did that in the archway of a pub, and there was a load of lads standing outside uh, drinking pints, and I was like, oh, "Can I just come in here and change for a second? And they were all just turned around, looking at me, staring at me, getting changed in the middle of the round. He's like, "Who is this fella?" But I did like, I, so I did, I did the, the tin whistle. I oh, the tin whistle, you did that. Yeah, I was yeah. Like, this was our on Levine, and you'd never play the tin whistle before. Never and never again will I. Okay, let's have a listen to Cahill playing our national anthem on the tin whistle in the Coot Hill Parade. Task number two. Play Ron Levine on the tin whistle. <laughs> what? I can't even think of it. I can't even think of the national anthem. I'm so nervous. <laughs> So I actually the last, I, Sorry, the last bit sounded like I'm a Barbie girl <laughs> I, would, I actually couldn't even So obviously I can't play the tin whistle But I couldn't even think of how Ron Levine goes Once I got the tin whistle into my hand I was just terrified My hand was shaking <laughs> Did anyone clap when you were finished? The tin whistle? Yeah. No, it's, it, it went down like a lead balloon <laughs> right, 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 okay. no, I like one. that, I like that Yeah. So I, had, so I ticked off Hurley Baton that, yeah. that worked And then uh, tin whistle uh, this like this was probably the the most the worst part. For okay, me. what was it? The call is a cutie pie. Thing. Oh, so to get everyone chanting, call yeah, is a cutie pie. Like he just he kind of ruined me a yeah. bit. Okay, well let's have a listen. Task number three: chanting, call is a cutie pie. Call is a cutie pie. Call is a cutie pie. You know, actually hearing people chant your name, mortifying. But I guess I'm a cutie pie. For <laughs> yeah. anyone know, the, re- the reason why he's Gaul, dying in here right now, Carl is chanting that is because we got him a, a jersey for his hurling team in Dublin, Kevin's, with our faces on it, uh, and the the the, the text Carl is a cutie pie XOXO. <laughs> so that's why we decided to continue that uh, mortification for Carl. Yeah. Uh, okay, so you did that, and that what you said was the worst one. And then, like, so yeah. what else? So then you had to do, you did the twirling the baton, you did the tin whistle. So you did the call as a cutie pie. 
Yeah, they uh, had the dancing. Ah, uh, so this this so the Coodle was like a big main street, and the further you get on, you're you're where I could see what the dignitaries wore on the forty foot truck <laughs> mm. and the MC and. Uh, like this was terrifying because then the MC was introducing me, uh, and he obviously told everyone that Kutil wasn't our first option. Dublin <laughs> didn't want them guys. <laughs> Boston didn't want them guys. Cork <laughs> didn't want them guys. Galway <laughs> didn't want them guys. Bilber <laughs> didn't want them guys. But Lisa Pepper says, QD, they're the mind card here in Christian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was shaking and I was trying to focus on what, what we were talking about but I was like I just knew that I had to do this Irish dancing in front of so many people and all, all these phones were up and oh, <laughs> let's have a listen Call Cutie Pie Good <laughs> Hill doing River Dance Here we go <laughs> What a sport! This means uh, you're terrible, but you're giving it a go. Yeah, I think so. And interesting, I saw the video of you dancing. You're just going kind of very much side to side. <laughs> <laughs> it was, that was the outer body experience that I had. I was like, am I actually dancing here in a town in Cavan and in my temporary hey, jersey? Not only that, but your own mother's an Irish dancing teacher. I just expected more of you. I know, I'm terrified for her to see that video. Uh, well, like, She can, and so can everyone else. If you go to at Today FM on Twitter right now, the video of all of Cahill's escapades in the Coot Hill Parade in Cavan is there for you to have a look and I advise you please go and look at it and share it with all of your friends because uh, it's a wonder I will say something though the people in, in Coot Hill were so lovely they felt so sorry for me <laughs> so between Lisa Pepper and Connie Whelan and mm. Je- that guy Jerry the MC like they they were just they weren't happy with you guys. <laughs> well, we can't understand daggers. why we're very happy with ourselves. <laughs> Before the start of the parade, some woman came out to me with a load of uh, brown bread uh, from her cafe, and I got I had to eat the brown bread. My mouth was so dry, and I was just like. <laughs> <laughs> eating brown bread before I got off from the Patrick's Day parade. Well, you know, this just throws up one question, Kyle. What's next? No. Oh, yes. I've learned a big lesson here. I've learned a big lesson. Just not to talk to you about <laughs> anything ever again. I think it might be a little bit late, Cahill, because I think everybody just needs to hear the national anthem one more time. <laughs> <laughs> Ireland is getting a new beach. Small problem, it's in Leash, which, if you remember anything from geography in school, has one small thing missing, a coast. (laughs) (laughs) Yvetta and Patrick Bowe are from the ranch cabin, and they're the pair behind the plans. They're on the line. Hey, guys. Hi. So, how is a beach happening in County Leash, which is pretty landlocked last time I checked? (laughs) (laughs) Why not? (laughs) (laughs) I like that attitude, Yvetta. I like it. That's a, yeah. A can-do attitude. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so you must be on water. Is there a lake near the ranch cabin? No, there wasn't. There wasn't. (laughs) So, what's happening? Well, it all started in 2018 when we were expecting little Chloe. So I suppose you can blame it on hormones. <laughs> <laughs> and we came up with the ranch cabin, obviously, as we are a dairy farm and, you know, we're milking cows. And I suppose the families come here with the children to see where the milk comes from. And that wasn't really available in Ireland. So, you know, you can come over here and propose in a milk partner, which we get a lot of Americans to do. Right. And we even say yes in the middle of that. So I suppose the idea grew from there. 
Okay, so the ranch cabin then grew out of the hormones with baby <laughs> Chloe. So how does it work now? Can people come and stay in the ranch cabin? Correct. Right. Correct. It's a cabin in the field with hot tub facilities and sauna and barbecue house and you have a view of mountains and, you know, surrounded with cows and animals. So, you know, it's a great escape from the city, I suppose. And it's full of peace and tranquility. Do you get people just going down there to unwind a little bit? Correct. And you don't have anyone around you, so you don't share anything. So it's just by yourself. So you better have a good company. Okay, so it's not it's not like there are seven or eight ranches, uh, cabins. It's no. just the one. Okay. And Correct. Patrick, uh, is, is Yvette yeah. leading all of this? Uh, or are you, have you any involvement <laughs> at all? Oh, sir, uh, the boss. <laughs> it sounds like it. And who had the idea for the beach? Sorry? Who had the idea for the beach? Oh, that's uh, Yvette's uh, brainchild. Um, her being from uh, Latvia uh, and near the Baltic Sea, she's uh, a beach girl. So now you're under pressure to be a beach boy. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so you have the, you've got the, the ranch cabin is there, but now you want to build something that's got more rooms and has got some kind of a exotic resort. Paint the picture for us there. Okay, so we had a pond in the field, which was basically over flooded field, and you would have in the winter ducks come in and, and uh, swans come in and... Sure. What else can you do in a lockdown? Yvette, you're a marketing genius. You have a flooded field and straight away it's a <laughs> pond. Now it's going to have a beach. I absolutely Look, I've love been it. working in a Dublin for 20 years in a, you know, Irish pub. So where else could you get the ideas? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so, so you had the pond already. So you're just adding to the pond now. Correct. The pond is extended into quite big area. So then when you have summers like you did last year, Sure, I said, why not put the beach in it? So we did put the beach in it. Then I Isn't there a kayak. chance, though, Iveta, that if you do get a really good summer, uh, your f- field won't be flooded anymore <laughs> and your pond will disappear <laughs> and you'll be left with a big pile of sand? Well, I hope so. If it gets flooded, it's bigger. <laughs> you, so you, you can tie true. it to the neighbors for the glass of milk. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, the cows need to be milked. And so tell us how you made a beach in, in Leash, then. What did you have to do? Well, um, we just designated half of the pond, which is quite big. And, you know, we get in stone and it's going to be white stone pebble beach and it's there already. So then we worked with a local gardener and we got the palm trees and all exotic plants. So it's all already done up. So for us in the last year, we've been enjoying the boats and enjoying the summer and barbecues and having a blast. So why don't expand and invite people over? (laughs) <laughs> I love the idea of some palm trees in the middle of a flooded field. Exactly. <laughs> we actually have a picture that the cows were on that field and then there is a picture where we on the kayaks in that field. So it's a pretty good contract there. Uh, you great. are a visionary. You really are. You can see things no one else can see and here we are now with a beach in County Leash. Why not? What's the best way? When you're in a lockdown, you come up with all these ideas. Yeah, and then Patrick has to enact them, does he? <laughs> Um, So are there five units now then that you can stay in? Correct, there will be five. It's not there yet, but it will be five. And we're hoping that we could be open by late this year or maybe early next year. 
Right, and then what else again? Because I know then, uh, reading through the stuff that you're on offer, there's basketball, life-size chess, volleyball, mini-golf. This sounds like a wonderful place to go. That's right. Um, you see, majority of places when you go, you know, you, you get a bed and a TV and a little greenery area to, I don't know, throw a card. So we decided that, you know, when the people come over, not only they have a beach, if it's raining, okay, fair enough, they have a hot tub, they have sauna, and they have fabulous facilities to enjoy each other's company. But if the weather is decent, so they can actually be active. So it's kind of be, you know, active stay, if you want to yeah. call it. So you, you can do things instead of just, I suppose, open Guinness and enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> you can do that too, yeah. of course. It reminds you can me do of... that too. There was I na- poured plenty of pints in Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of which, there was an ad years ago, long before you arrived on these shores, Yvette, um, mm-hmm. for harp beer and used to be you could certainly sink a pint of harp if you had a pint <laughs> of harp you could fry an egg I on these stones plenty of harp as well <laughs> uh, but I remember that was filmed on this you know the guy in the ad was in a desert and he was sort of fantasising about a cold pint of beer yeah. um, that was actually filmed on a fake beach on a lake in Wicklow wow so, oh wow yeah so um, you know that this has existed before in Ireland, so you know it's it's well, been tried and tested. Well, we're just going to better it then. Well, you are because it's the first time it's been done in a county that doesn't touch another county that touches the sea. It's the only <laughs> one in Ireland, and you've managed to put a beach and a lake and kayaks and swans and ducks and everything else on it. We think it's brilliant. Fair play Don't to you, Yvette and Patrick. Fish on top of it. Exotic fish as well. Oh, Jeepers. And can you swim in the lake? Well, that all depends on your Irish regulations, doesn't it? Oh, I see. <laughs> if you keep your mouth closed. <laughs> you can try to go in. I like the way Patrick was straight in going, yes, you absolutely can. <laughs> no <laughs> doubt about it. Wait in there now, lads. Come here, lads. How do people find out about going there? What's your website? Um, well, at the moment, we don't have a website, but um, Branch Cabin has a website. Okay. Um, you know, and Branch Cabin has a Facebook so, so go people, dig it if out they that go way. on the ranch cabin, yeah, Facebook What's page, they will see all the updates going further. Okay, so What's ranch the ranch cabin, cabin website? Uh, it's http that's all you need <laughs> search it out it'll, it'll turn up ranch cabin leash and away you go go down to Patrick and Yvette and you'll have the absolute crack lads thanks for talking to us today no matter thank you we're all right. expecting your visit yeah too. we'll be down definitely yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's it we'll bring a bunch of smugglers <laughs> see you later guys <laughs> bye thank you bye, bye. Now she said herself, it's been a moment 17 years in the making, a moment of history for golf in Ireland, a moment of history for Irish women, and the best birthday present for one Cavan mammy, Leona Maguire, has earned her first LPGA victory in Florida, and we're delighted to be catching up with Leona again. Hello. Come here, first things first, congratulations. Like, we had you on the show not that long ago, and you said this. Um, Looking forward, what's the goal? Like, when you're daydreaming with your hands behind your head wondering you know what will I achieve like any other sports person you're you're in to be the best per, best sort of athlete you can be and um, as golfers that's that's winning LPG events it's winning major championships getting on solo and cups it, it's all of that and we've never had an Irish player to win on tour so on the ladies tour so um, it'll be nice to nice to be the first and, and sort of show young girls in that back home that, that it is possible and that if if a girl from Cavan can do it, they can do it too. 
and you did it. Yeah, I mean, it's been been a long time in the making. I suppose it's it's one of those things you dream about happening, but it uh, you don't quite quite know if you're ever going to get there until it happens. Well, look, I just love the way you did it. You know, like if you look at your round, the birdies were spread right throughout the whole round. You had that cushion standing on the 18th. You knew that, you, you know, you didn't have to suddenly dig deep for an eagle on the last or anything. You know, that killer instinct you showed at the Solheim Cup, it's it's there. It's there every day. And, you know, that's what got you over the line. You just, you're a closer. You're a finisher. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it was, it was one of those things. There was no leaderboards out in the course until 16. So me and Gemma, we'd no idea what was going on and, I kind of knew someone would make a run, Lexi or Patty or some of the, the girls coming behind and, and Brittany in the group and with us, she rattled off five pretty good for six holes and I think we were level then or I was even maybe one behind. So um, Dermot kept just saying, be patient, be patient. We'll get our chance, we'll get our chance. And um, yeah, I think the round, round the turn, sort of seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, that was that was massive sort of for momentum and got those birdies and, and never looked back from there. So yeah, nice to be able to go up, to, go up 18, sort of fairly stress-free. Yeah, well, like, obviously the reason you're so successful is because yeah, you work very closely with a Dermot. Uh, that's what I'm telling Dave, Dave all the time. They're holding uh, us back, Leon. They're just holding us back. <laughs> <laughs> For people who don't know, Dermot, of course, is your caddy. I know he jumped on board after Las Vegas, I think. And, you know, you've been talking really positively about your relationship with him. Of course, he's worked with, uh, you know, winners like Shane Lowry in the past. What is it that you guys have together because that uh, I always find the you know the golfer caddy relationship fascinating um you know what is the relationship like and what do you need from your caddy yeah I mean it's it's very it's it's obviously a unique relationship in sports I suppose I spend more time with Jeremy nearly than than anyone else but uh I suppose as a, as a fellow Irish person our sense of humor is pretty similar we go about our business quite quietly quite effectively sort of under the radar and just take care of business and um, we get along very well and he obviously has, has a lot of experience under his belt so he didn't change whether I was 80 at last week or, or leading the tournament this week and I suppose that, that sort of calmness as well probably fed over to me and um, at no point during the week where we sort of panicked or, or anxious or stressed about anything. And what do you need from him? I mean, do you do you look to him you know, for shot selection, for club selection, or are you just you just need him there to for, for reassurance, or you know, for more the mental, psychological, calming side of it? Yeah, I think it, it varies. Um, I suppose the conditions last week were, were quite windy, so we'd obviously get the yardage, and then we'd say, okay, this one's into the wind. It's it's one thirty five, but maybe it's, we'd sort of figure out, okay, it actually, it's actually playing more like one forty five. So I'd know that's that's an eight iron for me or is it a little seven or things like that. So some of the time it's pretty obvious. I'll, we'll get the number I'll take the club out and pretty much go straight away. Sometimes there's a little bit more chat back and forth. And I suppose the longer we work together, he, he knows what I need. And I suppose that's, that's part of the, the caddy relationship, knowing what to say and when to say it and when not to say anything at all. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I suppose keeping me calm, just chatting about general stuff, keep on the way around, keeping my mind off things and, he doesn't read putts on the greens, but other than that, like planning out shots, planning where to hit it, and we pretty much stuck to the, the same game plan all week, which is nice. Uh, I mean, Dermot's our resident golf nut. He's obsessed with the sport, and the fact that, you know, that he is asking these questions about a caddy just goes to show that from the public's point of view, maybe the, the understanding and perception of the importance of having not just a caddy, but the right caddy 
you know, can make such a difference to you. So, like, what is it in that scenario then? Like, do, are the caddies, are they, do they feel underappreciated by the general public that we're all kind of just going, yeah, Leona did it. But I mean, Dermot obviously plays a massive role in getting you over the line. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's been, he's been a huge part, a huge part of the journey. He's there for, for every shot. He, um, ultimately he just gives me the best advice he possibly can. And it's up to me to hit the shot. Then, then it's outside of his control. But, um, no, I mean, he's Patrick Harrington tweeted there the other day and, and he mentioned Dermot in his, in his tweet was obviously he, he knows what goes on behind the scenes. And I mean, early, early January before I went back out to the States, it was, it was one of the first few days in January. It was snowing. I was out of Blackbush with, with my coach Shane and Dermot came to watch me hit wedges. Like that's that's the sort of commitment I suppose, not just the, there for the the, the days where mm. all goes well and you're holding the trophy, but also days out in Dunshockland when it was absolutely <laughs> ball and Well, it would be good to get better at the wedges, so that's what had to be done. It would be great to just have a caddy not for golf but for life you know <laughs> someone on your sort of metaphorical bag who could anytime you're about to make an important decision go I, hang on a second are you sure about this and get some I just just a thought maybe your life maybe. is playing 10 yards longer than you think you just don't realise yeah. <laughs> yeah. there's like, a hazard up ahead yeah we we know like having spoken to you before and and, and heard your your life story you know we know how long you've been working at this Obviously, to a lot of people, you know, all of a sudden it'll be, oh, Leona McGuire, she just started playing golf the other day and then she won her first tournament. You know, like, you know, this is that, that typical thing of like working your whole life to get somewhere. And then people now know who you are, what it is you do. We're all very excited to talk to you. How, how does that feel now for you to be thrust into a spotlight that, you know, m- maybe since the Solheim Cup and, and, and going professional a couple of years back and obviously you've done everything behind closed doors pretty much since then because of, of COVID. But now things are opening back up. You've won your first LPGA. It's the first Irish woman to do that. I mean, th- your life is going to change now. Yeah, I mean, I suppose I've dealt with, I suppose, those expectations and stuff for, for quite a while and, yeah, I mean, I suppose there was a lot of a lot of the wording of the tweets and the messages over the last few days where it was only a matter of time. It was inevitable. It's nothing's inevitable. Nothing in sport is guaranteed. And um, I suppose I, I don't know if people realise how hard it is to win on the LPGA, how hard it is to win in sport in general, and it, it takes a lot of hard work and you need a lot of things to to go right on the day. But um, at the same time, it's it's fantastic to see so many people getting joy from this as well. Not just me, but. But everybody, I mean, Irish Irish fans are the best fans in the world and I've had so much support over the last few years and if this brings more people to the game, then, then that's that's fantastic too. Uh, yeah, well, my mum, you know, is never impressed with, you know, me talking to, you know, Matthew McConaughey or Scarlett Johansson or whoever. Just, yeah, oh, did you? Yeah, that's great. Anyway, how are the kids? Whatever. And I told her yesterday where I was talking to Leona Maguire, she sat bolt upright in her chair and was like, right, you be nice, Leona. She's a hero. I was like, if Myra's impressed <laughs> when I'm talking to you, then you know you've done well. On your best behaviour, so. No, I mean, Absolutely. That, that, that was the thing, especially about the Solheim Cup, I think, as well, like, People from all walks of life that would never watch women's sport, let alone women's golf, were tuning in. And um, I suppose I think the weekend it was streamed on YouTube as well, which meant a lot of people had access to it. So, I mean, yeah, grateful for all the sport. And it's cool to see the messages sort of flowing in from, from all around and how excited people are about it. Well, speaking of mammies, I know you, you gave your own mammy a particularly good birthday present. Wasn't it her birthday this weekend? It was. It was a birthday on Sunday. I was talking to her yesterday and I was asking her... Um, 
and she had cake and the cans or whatever and she said well sure there's so many people on the house on Saturday night they cut the cake early but she had cake. <laughs> <laughs> dead right um, yeah it's 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 one of those things mom and dad have done so much for me growing up and I sacrificed a lot so that's sort of a little part of my thank you to them and, and letting them in, sort of enjoy and share in this moment as well mm. um, what does this mean in sort of putting my greedy hat on now you know when you win on the LPGA does this mean better endorsements you can get more from your sponsors you know obviously you have the prize money but you know in in terms of what does this give you now or or is it simply a prize pot and you just focus on the next competition yeah I I suppose I leave that to my management team you never know what's when our doors open (laughs) and with these kind of things but it's it's a big step I mean it's never been done before so um yeah, hopefully there'll be some opportunities that come along with it. But at the same time, we've we've a long year ahead of us. We've still nine more months of tournament golf. There's still all the five majors to play and still a lot of goals and, and plans to be ticked off. So we'll enjoy this. We'll take confidence from it, but we'll, we'll sort of keep the foot down and, and full steam ahead. Yeah, and so next up, you mentioned majors there. You know, you're ticking off boxes at a rate of knots. Is is a major now your next focus? Yeah, I mean, I suppose it was it was a lot of fun to win this last weekend. So you, you want to do it again. You don't want to just just be one and done. So, um, I mean, put a lot of work in over over the Christmas and over the winter winter period. So it's nice that it's it's paying off this early in the season. But at the same time, we're not we're not done. We're still trying to make those small gains all the time. So, yeah, building towards the majors, all the rest of the events in the season, and just keep up myself in contention as, as many times as I can. Well, look, you're a, you're a twin with your sister, Lisa. I have twin daughters and they're playing under eights football here for Port Marnock and seeing, you know, role models, you know, women out doing it, the top level, it makes such a difference. You, like that, that phrase is so true. You know, you can't be it if you can't see it and they can now see you doing it and uh, they were tuning in over the weekend and, uh, you know, even though they're seven and they don't really understand golf, but they understood the importance of seeing you up there and winning the tournament. So it is amazing to to have you and other women in sport as role models for young girls in Ireland. It's just brilliant. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been great. I think 2021 was as good a year as we probably had for, for Irish women in sport. And uh, it's nice that we started 22 off and just as, as good, if not better. And Obviously, Rachel won with Honeysuckle at the weekend as well. It, it was another great, great weekend for Irish sport. So um, long may it continue. And um, yeah, ex- if, if it brings a few more young girls to sport, then that's fantastic. Sport's given me so much. So whether it's golf to pick up or football or running or swimming or boxing or whatever it is, I don't think it matters. But um, yeah, obviously it was part of the 20 by 20 campaign. But um, nice to see it sort of playing out in reality as well and not just being sort of a, a campaign. For sure. And we can't let you go without, you know, I feel I represent the thousands, tens of thousands of amateur golfers listening to this right now who feel extra juiced and inspired by your achievements. (laughs) Um, I would love to know what goes through your head when you're about to hit a putt, because maybe we could learn from that. When you when you're when you've lined up your putt, what's your thought process? As little as possible. <laughs> the, the golf is there. It's it, we can make it as complicated as it needs to be, but as uh, simple as best, I think um, it's hard enough. So yeah, pretty much go through my routine, line it up. Once I know what the break is, just uh, just hitting the putt really, um, not not trying to think about too much or 
or uh, making it overcomplicated. No, this is not the secret sauce I was looking for here, Leona. Like, if, well, we all, if we all need the secret, then uh, we all fifty nine every day. I don't. I don't have all the answers yet. If I, if I find that, I'll let you know. I can't win a captain's prize with that. Come on, <laughs> throw me a bone here. Leona Maguire, it's an honour to talk to you. Congratulations. I hope uh, this is the beginning, as you said, of many, many more LPGA victories and everything else that goes with it. Thanks so much for chatting to us. Thanks, lads. Thanks for having me. Sharon Jones is in Bundoran, Donegal. Hi, Sharon. Hi, how are you? Good. What did you find on the beach recently? So uh, we found a boy uh, still attached to its pole, covered in goose barnacles, that actually landed here all the way from Newfoundland. Right. How, how, yeah, I was going to say, how do you know that's where it came from? Okay, so it had a, a person's name on it, plus it had old Perlican written on it. So we just Googled, thinking maybe it could have been the name of a boat, and mm. uh, then we realised it was actually a fishing village in Newfoundland. Right. So um, I posted to a page, Newfoundland and Labrador page, on Facebook, just to see, for the fun, if there was any responses, and so many responses found the owner and uh, no it got way. over a thousand shares yeah I yes. couldn't believe this so you actually yeah. found the person who owned the boy that came all the way from old Perlican in Newfoundland yes yeah he lost it last year last July when he was crab fishing he said Jeez, yeah that's amazing wow so yeah. the question is who's paying for postage <laughs> it's in my back garden so no it's mine now yeah, oh. make, make a nice feature out of it yeah exactly oh, we collect smaller ones over the years okay. but this one was huge so yeah we pulled it off the beach still attached to its pole and everything took the, both of them with us yeah that's amazing wow and have you yeah. kept in touch with the owner would you drop each other an old Facebook message from time to time no no this was only a couple of weeks ago so it's all still relatively kind of new you oh. know so you never know you never know because this could be like a, some kind of rom-com story you know where <laughs> Oh no 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 <laughs> no, okay. no no maybe it could just no, be a no. pen pal situation we'll just leave it at that yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. he has got crabs so maybe best avoided <laughs> thank you Sharon what no, the sea creatures bye, bye. 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 when we think of a J one visa we tend to think of Irish college students living in California and surviving on nothing more than $1 pizzas and kegs. <laughs> Remember that? Our next guest is a 66-year-old granny from Kerry who is spending her summer on her first J1 in a summer camp in North Wisconsin. Good morning, Fiona Griffin. Hi, guys. How are you? How's the J1? <laughs> oh, my God. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> is it an but actual J1? Yes, it is. It is a J-1 visa. Amazing, because I thought there would be some kind of, like, you know, college restrictions or age restrictions or something like that on it to make it into a J-1, but you can just get one if you qualify. Absolutely. That's my understanding. It's the type of work I'm doing. I'm working in a summer camp for girls between the ages of 8 and 16. Wow, so one of those American um, summer camps that we see in movies when they're all there for yeah, the summer. Yeah, dirty dancing kind of camp. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> and, like, obviously, you know, you never got to do this before. Maybe you'd built this up in your mind as something super special. What has been your experience since you got there? Has it lived up to your expectations? Absolutely. I'm here just over two weeks and the campers are arriving tomorrow. So the whole focus then will change to campers. At the moment, it's been two weeks of staff training and it has been a great bonding experience. The whole staff team are just fabulous. You sound like you'd probably take them all on in levels of energy and enthusiasm, but you are a little bit older. How has the age gap been to navigate in terms of working with all these younger girls? 
Yeah, so I had a little bit of difficulty with it first. I kind of thought I'm not going to be able to keep up with them. Are they going to see me as a dead weight? But actually, no, they don't. Um, I pull my weight the whole time. I'm up for most things. And they kind of keep an eye out for me as well. We were on a 24-hour canoeing um, camping trip there. And we were going through the forest at night. And one of them just put out their hand and said, would you like me to help? Mm. Which was absolutely lovely. They have these very small little chairs that the staff own. And if we're sitting on the ground, one of them will give me their chair. <laughs> so you're being well looked after. How do you feel about that? Like some people can take that as an insult and go, what's your way? I'm only 66, not 106. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't see it as an insult. In my mind, I might say to myself, oh, do I look as if I can't manage? <laughs> yeah, um, I, know. I think it's just that they are conscious of my age in a small way. And then, you know, they're just doing these lovely things to keep me as part of the group and to help out if they can. You said you're up for most things. What are you not up for? Oh, gosh, okay. I wouldn't jump out of an airplane now. Smart lady. <laughs> Neither would I. And yesterday we were away on a rope challenge course. And I'm not good with heights. So part of the team walked across a high log strapped on to a, a bailer. And we were running out of time. And then I kind of said, oh, that's great now. Even if I could get up the ladder, I'd have been happy. Fiona, um, you, you, you sound exactly like me. I am not good with heights. I'm not good with anything adventure or daredevil So I would be exactly like you. I'd go, he, no, lads, you're fine. I'll let you do that. And I'll go back to the camp. He asks his wife to get uh, the biscuits out of the top cupboard. <laughs> <laughs> and come here. So the, the J1 thing, right? Is this something that you yeah. were aware of when you were a student or when your kids were students or whatever, that, that students tradition? go to the States on the J1. Like, When did you become aware of it and when did you decide you wanted to do it? Okay, so I've always been aware of students going abroad and I, I did hope to travel as a, as a young one when I was doing Montessori, but I fell in love and got married and had kids. So that kind of put um, you know a hold on all of mm. that. So I'm retired from work. My youngest is 31 in July, so it left me much freer without that much responsibility. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, I said, okay, let's see what I can do for the summer and let's start there. So for me, being here in a summer camp, it's a very safe option. I'm coming to some place where there's a team. I'm coming to some place where I live. And, you know, our schedule here is going to be very tight at the moment as well. You know, we start with flag raising at five to eight, then breakfast, and then we're straight into activities, team bonding exercises. Um, you know, cleaning cabins, all that kind of thing at the moment. Wow. And so, so you're a mother of four, granny of five. What did the family think when you said, I'm heading off on a J1 for the summer? Because um, <laughs> my friends were more, what are you doing, than, than my family. <laughs> um, obviously, they're supportive. Obviously, they were a bit um, worried as to what I was up to. But, you know, the fact that I was coming to what I regarded as a safe place. Yeah, but Fiona, uh, you're also on a lake in Wisconsin. There's also got to be wildlife. What kind of dangerous things are wandering around the forest around the lake? Oh, my God. Well, we have hundreds and thousands of chipmunks. Right. They're just wandering around. They climb up the walls of my cabin. Um, Let me think. So we have lots of deer. They're much smaller than our Kerry deer, though. We have painted turtles. And there is another thing called a snapping turtle that I haven't seen yet, but you have to stay away from them because they bite. Definitely stay away from them. Well, snakes and, and bears? And they don't let go. 
bears more up the north, I believe. You might see the odd one. We haven't seen any. They'd be black bears, not grizzlies. And I saw one snake, a long grey thing. They're not poisonous, but we have been told that if you're bitten by a snake, it is still a hospital job. Right. 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 Okay. Well, let's hope none of that happens and you don't meet a, a hungry snapping turtle on your travels. <laughs> Absolutely not. I'll be staying away from them. And when you say your friends kind of raise an eyebrow or two when you suggest to them what you were doing, do you find that attitudes at age 66 are different depending on people's approach to being that age? I think they probably are. Kind of like, would you not sit back down and relax? You've worked all your life. But to me, this is life. I've loads of energy. Um, I was very taken aback and it took me a while to accept that I had to retire last April. And um, then I just started looking for something new to do. Well, yeah, there's no reason why retiring from work means, you know, retiring from life, as you said. I mean, this is life. You're doing it now. You're just living a life that's actually freer because you don't have the responsibility of work anymore. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, Um, yeah, so it's it's a wonderful freedom. Now, I get homesick and I miss, you know, I'm missing my kids and my mom and my grandchildren. um, Yeah, but think of the example you're setting for those those kids, you know, when they see their mother and their granny out adventuring around Wisconsin. You know, that's what they'll be looking to do and keep that energy going themselves. Yes, absolutely. I'm very fortunate, really. I I really am. My brother, who's a bus driver to CIE Tours, met a couple on a tour in Scotland from Wisconsin and they have been wonderful to me. They collected me from the airport, they're coming for me to take me for a day out and I'm going spending a week with them when I finish here on the 14th of August. Ah, that's so great. People are so nice when they so, do things like that. That's brilliant. They really, really are. You know, they're, they're quite like us Irish, you know, we'll always put out that friendly hand Yeah, help somebody yeah I'm not so sure like about that, that Fiona. <laughs> the, 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 may not. the difference between Americans and Irish is that Irish will go, oh, sure, look, when you, if you come over to Ireland, sure, yeah, God, I should love to see you. No intention. Uh, whereas the Americans go, hey, you're ever over in America, in the States, you, you'll let me know. And they absolutely follow through on everything they promise, unlike us. Yeah, 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 they do, they do, but no, no, they've just been wonderful as well I can't thank them enough well Fiona people are going to want to keep an eye on you and see what's going on so what is your Instagram so people can keep an eye and see what's going on with you so my Instagram is retiree underscore on a J1 visa retiree underscore on a J1 visa so people can see what you're up to there and tell us have you uh, sneaked out at midnight yet with the other J1ers and gone uh, drinking cans in the forest (laughs) well um, we've gone into Minocqua Town for a glass of wine but to be honest with you I'm asleep at 10 o'clock at night (laughs) too busy (laughs) yeah I'd say they love you and they are there as well you know well Fiona yeah we will keep an eye on your Instagram and see your progress fair play to you and Thanks for joining us and filling us in on all that. Thank you so much, guys. All right, have a good day. You too, Fiona. Bye. Now, we've all heard of karate, judo, or taekwondo. (laughs) Perfectly (laughs) pronounced. Perfectly pronounced. But did you know that Ireland has its own martial art? Somebody suggested it might actually be hurling. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's not far off. We spotted a story in the Irish Indo about the Leitrim man who is hoping to bring back Ireland's oldest sport... And Bernard Letty joins us now. Good morning, Bernard. Good morning. How are you, lads? A tour to yourself. Come here. What is Ireland's ancient martial art? It's bataract or stick fighting. Bataract. Um, bataract. It's batters in the stick. 
Uh, and it's uh, it's the shillelagh, using the shillelagh as a weapon. All right, so shillelagh isn't just kind of something we flog off to the Americans in some belief that, oh, we all had shillelaghs back in the day. It was actually used uh, as a weapon. It was for years, years and years. Um, it goes back to the Celts. That's how old it is. And we've done it, in, it was in Ireland for, for hundreds and thousands of years. And then when the, it's all started to disappear around just before the famine, when you had the, the English started cutting down on the, on the stick fighting, because the stick fighting was something that we all did. It was something how we sorted out problems. If you had a problem with your neighbour, you know, you go to a fair, you go to a funeral, you go to a wedding, um, you have a few pints, and then you sort it out, you know? And wasn't um, that um, the original, the Donnybrook, that old yeah. uh, f- phrase for, you know, basically a big melee at a, at a crossroads somewhere? Um, but yeah. weren't, weren't shillelaghs used in Donnybrooks? Or am I, am yeah. I imagining that? No, you're right. They were used in Donnybrooks. They were used in anything like that. There was, there's been records, uh, and actually in the House of Commons, it was brought up numerous times in the sort of 17th and 18th century about the Irish using these sticks uh, and the fighting because there'd be thousands of people on a field, you know, just sorting out issues. <laughs> like, well, okay, I understand maybe, you know, two clans getting together who have a dispute over some land or some sheep or something and go, look, the only way to solve this is with a bit of batarack. But thousands of people in the field, like, what's that about? This sounds like organised violence. Yeah, absolutely, it was. It was about, there would be, like you say, issues and you'd have, like, your faction would then join with another faction and then you would, it, eventually it would just blow up and you'd have, like, hundreds of factions all meeting. And at one point it was recorded um, in history of 36,000 people on one field. <laughs> and yeah. 36,000 Irish lads with sticks battering yeah. the heads off each other. Yeah, absolutely. And women as well. Women involved as well, you know. It's an equal opportunity bashing. <laughs> <laughs> and was there any level of skill to it or was it simply just... You know, you know when you see like um, martial arts like kempo and stuff, where, where they there's there's particular moves that they're trained in. Uh, do you think Bataract had similar a similar style? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, traditionally, the first of it came from the original Celtic fencing, the sword work that the Celts used to use. That's where they, and and like shillelaghs were used back then as well. If you there's a famous story for if you ever heard the Battle of Teutonberg Forest in Germany, where the, the Roman legions were wiped out by the Germans, mm. who were kind of Celtic. And they had a, a section called the Night Fighters who would attack at night. And one of their favorite weapons was a shillelagh because it would do damage. What kind of wood? What kind of wood were they made from? A lot of the wood was just what was local wood. I mean, traditionally, it's the blackthorn. But um, a lot of people use the blackthorn, but if you were in an area where there was no blackthorn, you'd use um, oak, ash, you know, even rolydendron would be used. So, um, and as, as for skills, it, it is a really skillful martial art. It takes a lot of practice, you know, because you have to, the, the better you practice, it's easy to learn, but you got to practice. Mm. Um, the faster you practice, the more you practice, the faster you become. And so it's, what, it's really- what's your story, Bernard? How did you come across Bataract and how come you're the spokesperson for it now in 2022 so what's your background you're Irish but moved to the UK is that right that's right yeah I left in 1988 uh, I went to England and uh, I got into I was into martial arts anyway when I was in Ireland and I got into martial arts with the UK I trained um, in various martial arts over the years I've got five different black belts in different martial arts and then um, I got injured at work I was a prison officer and I got injured I, I wrecked my knee and I had a couple of operations and they said, well, you can't really go back to kicking and punching and throwing anymore because your knee will just pop out. Mm. 
Um, so I, I was sat on my computer one night and I'd had a few drinks, I don't mind saying. And I thought, you know what, look, um, let's look at, at Irish martial arts. You know, I've always done Chinese and I've always done Japanese and Filipino. What about Irish? And I laughed and I put it in the computer and up it came. Bathrack. And the, the man in charge was a man called Glenn Doyle, who is a hereditary stick fighter, meaning that his dad taught him and it was passed down from father's son all the way through. Wow. Um, and he was based in um, Ontario in Canada. Um, and the thing is, <laughs> you know, I went over there because it's the only, the only person I could train find in the world. Wow. How, how drunk were you? You went from Googling it to booking flights oh. to Ontario <laughs> to get training. That was a brilliant oh, night. That's not the worst. I've woken up in Rome before. Anyway, no more. We'll get into that story. And we'll leave, we'll leave Thailand alone. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but no, I was, it was a couple of weeks later. Like I found up my bank manager and said, you know, I want to I want to go to Canada and do this. And I'm going to max out my credit card. And he started crying. Then I started crying. And then we went off to Canada. Um, and it was brilliant. You know, it's the, the thing is it survived in Canada because when the famine came in Ireland, of course, it all stopped. Because you, you're looking for food, you know, people are dying. So you're not going to fight each other. You're mm. going to try and find food, you know. Um, a lot of people emigrate. And that's why you got, you know, the film The Gangs in New York? Yeah. That's, a, again, that's a true story about Irish gangs in New York who, who use Batarang to, to um, negotiate with the Americans, shall we say. Right. Um, you know, and, and it survived in, in Newfoundland because Newfoundland is the only place outside of Ireland that has a gale talk. And still has it today. Mm. So a lot of Irish culture survived in, in that area. And that's what saved Batarang. Otherwise, it would have been gone. And so if, when people use it now, presumably, you know, we're not beating the heads off each other. It's, it's a little bit safer. How does a Batarang battle or, or sparring match work these days? Well, you get kitted up, obviously. <laughs> and we use, we use a padded stick um, because we want to minimise the injuries. You know, um, and that, that's... That's how we do it. And it's this controlled, you know, it's not, you know, not health or leather. And again, we use what are called trainer sticks. We don't, we use, we got, oh, everyone's got a shillelagh, but we use the trainer sticks because the shillelagh are, are an awesome weapon. I mean, they are a fantastic weapon. Um, they even have thorns on them and the thorns were used in the original fighting. You use the thorns to strip the skin and, or the flesh, you know, you rip the flesh open. All right, so this is like the blackthorn thorns. You use them as part of the yeah. weapon. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. And they would be used to, to rip open any arms. They put the arms up to block. That's fair game. You'd take them out, you know. And how um, big is a shillelagh? It's, it's, it's built to your size. So a proper shillelagh would go from your hip bone down to the floor. That's, that'd be your size. So right. Not so far off a hurl, a hurley. A hurl Absolutely. or hurley, depending on what part of the country you come from before <laughs> people start texting in. Hurley <laughs> <laughs> says, that's a tip, man. Um, and are you coaching it now? Are you teaching it to people? Yes, I, I'm teaching all around the world. Um, I, I when I was teaching, I've got a club up in Belku in Fermana, and I've got a, another one of my guys, um, the drum, Will Garnsworth down in Galway is doing it, and, and Martin O'Neill up in Lurgan near Belfast, he's doing it as well. So it, I'm trying to build it up in Ireland, trying to return it home. Um, I'm teaching on Zoom and I'm teaching in person, but my goal is to return to Ireland. That's where it deserves to be. Um, it's fantastic martial art. Speaking as a lifelong martial artist. It's one of the best martial arts I've ever done. It's not the best. Wow. And how can someone listening today who's interested get involved? Like, are there websites? Is there a Facebook group? How do, how do they do that? Uh, well, contact me on Facebook, Bernard Letty. Um, if you look up Irish Stick Fighting, you'll find me on there. Um, look up Doyle Irish Stick Fighting if you want to see the videos on YouTube. Okay. And the Doyle family 
because everyone would take the name of the, the leader of the faction. And, and my boss, Len, is the, the leader of the faction. Um, so he would be my boss. So it's, it's a Doyle style. So, yeah, look it up. Um, reach out to me. If you look for Fighting Hairs, that's my club. Fighting Hairs. Fighting Hairs, yep. It's an old Irish thing. Right. Um, fascinating and, stuff, Bernard. And listen... I was going to say, do you guys want to have a go at it? Yes. Do you want me to come down there? <laughs> <laughs> Dermot immediately said yes. I was about to go, ah, you're probably grand. No, to be with you. Bernard, uh, like my favourite thing in the world is to watch Viking programmes. And I, I have a, I have this inner craving to learn, like, sword. I feel like there's a warrior in me, somewhere mm. in my genetics, that is not being allowed express itself. So Bataracht right. seems like this could be the answer. Well, listen, come and do the martial art of Brian Baru. Brian Baru would have done this. All the famous, you know, even the Fianna, if, if they existed, they would have done this. Everyone in Irish history, you know, way back, this would have been the, the, the mainstay of everyone's life. Yes. Is there any, is there any, can I fight Dave? Yeah, is there any martial art burning for sitting down and playing the guitar? Because that's the one I'd like to learn, to be honest with you. <laughs> Bernard Letty, thanks for joining us today. Uh, listen, we, we know people will go search you out on Facebook and uh, fingers crossed you'll up your numbers in Irish stick fighting, a.k.a. Batteract. Thanks so much, Bernard. Lads, thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. You See too. you later. Bye. Bye-bye. Kelly Harrington captured the hearts of a nation last summer when she won gold at the Tokyo 2020 Olympics. Take a listen to this. As we gather in the chapel here in Old Kilmain on day, I think about these past few weeks. Oh, will they say we failed? She's done it! Olympic champion Kelly Harrington! Goal for Harrington! Goal for the darling of Dublin! What an incredible moment! Do you know, there's been times in my career when people say the whole country is behind you. This time, I really, really feel the whole country is behind me. Harrington, you must be so proud of Kelly. I'm so proud of her. I'm so delighted for her. That's what all she wanted, to see the people smiling. That's all she wanted, make people happy. This is the stuff of, of dreams. Congratulations. Hakuna Matata. Hakuna Matata to you, too. Won't be time to share our love, for we must say. That's her singing on the late late. I wonder if we get a manage to get a tune out of her today. Uh, she's had a busy couple of weeks, though. She even got married over the weekend, don't you know? But outside of the ring, Kelly is also a spar ambassador, and she's on the line now to chat about their new campaign and everything else that's going on in her life. Hello, Kelly. How's it going, lads? How are you doing? Good. Congratulations on getting married. Good legend. <laughs> Thanks very much. Does it feel different now for you and Mandy? Um. No, same, same. <laughs> How were the? S- a little bit older already, though. Really? Well, it'll do that to you. It'll kind of make you feel like you're kind of an adult now that you've managed to get married. <laughs> uh, the pictures floating around looked fantastic. The two of you look gorgeous. Were the celebrations good? And did they go long into the night? It's amazing what a bit of makeup does, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the way um, that. No, it was. It was. It was absolutely amazing. It was. A f- fantastic day like um and we got do you know what like you know the irish weather like we we got the four seasons in one day but we got a good bit of sunshine throughout the day which was amazing absolutely amazing and we had the weather with us as well so ah yeah gotta include the dogs in the in the wedding as well shouldn't you be on a honeymoon right now 
Uh, well, I should be, but getting ready for the World Championship, so no rest for the weekend. Slight, slight reason to stick around there, in fairness, rather than go to a beach somewhere and fill yourself full of all-inclusive food. I think. Uh, what's the kind of what's the preparation like for for something like that? Are you are you mad in the gym now every single day and watching what you eat and making weight and all that? Um, well, after the weekend, uh, I'm, I'm a bit <laughs> over at the moment, but um, I'm getting back on track this week but uh it's like you just have to manage what you're eating like but you also don't restrict yourself too much mm. from from the chocolate bars and stuff like I'm that I'm sure you, you need the energy to, for the training exactly do you know what I mean yeah. we're burning it off like <laughs> <laughs> and uh so what what do you what have you teamed up with Spar for this community road trip sounds exciting yeah so it's the community summer road trip and they are they have 10 grand up for grabs. It's going to be broken up into five 2000s, which is amazing for any club or group in the community. And we're going to go around in the summer and we're going to meet these uh, groups and communities. And I'm really looking forward to it. Yes, it's brilliant. I love the fact that it's not, you know, obviously you are a sports star, but it's not just focusing on sports. It could be any kind of organization or initiative in the community at all. Oh, that's it. Like it, any any kind, like... But what I will say is, like, if, like, people are going to hear about this and then they might not enter it. Like, if you don't enter it, you can't win. Mm. A few thousand euro goes an awful long way in a, an awful long way, goes a very long way <laughs> uh, in uh, in any, in anything really, do you know? Yeah. So spar.e is the place to go. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Go to spar.e, register and all the rest. The applications are open, uh, or they will open on Wednesday the 20th, remain open for about four weeks until the 20th of May. So make sure you check out spar.e to find out more about the Spar Community Road Trip. Um, Can we go back in time to that Olympic moment, Kelly? I know you've gone over it five million times, but it's just very exciting to hear you talk about it again. Ah. It was, do you know what? It, it's so, so, so special. Like, it really has been amazing. Like, and I, 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 I think it won't be until I'm retired when I'll actually realise what I've actually done because mm. I've just been, I've as soon as I come out of the Olympics, I was like, right, what's what's the next thing? And as I was just saying to someone else there, it's not because I'm hungry for success or anything, but it's because I'm hungry for a sense of purpose and a sense of uh, structure in my life, really. You know, that's, that's why, like... Mm. And does it change you in any way when you do manage to get that gold? I mean, that is, that's the dream. That's the top shelf that you've been reaching for all these years. How does that change you afterwards? It hasn't changed me. It hasn't changed me, but it has changed the people, the way people react around me. But it hasn't changed me as, as I'm still me, you know, like, mm. but people are definitely different uh, around me, like not my family or anything. They still, they, they still just treat me as me, like still battering me. Uh, <laughs> but no, um, like, yeah, just people around you change and the way they they act to you, you know, that changes. And a lot of people will recognise my face now. Actually, funny enough, a lot of people recognise my face now, more so after singing on live on national TV. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like, all right, yeah, thanks for the Olympic gold medal. Was nice yeah, well. <laughs> yeah. I only went and won an Olympic gold medal and now you saw me sing a song and now I'm super famous. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. Like, <laughs> But uh, no, life has been still the same, like... Uh, same, same old, same and different date. <laughs> seeing the careers of people like Katie Taylor who've gone pro after their um, their amateur careers and you looking at, you, you know, the career you talked about there, the sense of purpose and all that, do you, is it something that you would consider 
further down the line I mean obviously you're going to be uh, amateur for a while in terms of trying to win these world championships and everything else that's coming up but like it, would it be something you'd think about now at this stage or just get fight to fight no absolutely definitely not something I would think about uh, further down the line I want to have a, a bit of a life do you know what I mean <laughs> so uh, I'm going to finish up uh, when I'm 34 and that'd be me done dust it um, I'll give it I'll, I'll go up to my club and I'll uh, I'll still try it's not me walking away from the sport like mm. I'll still be training and stuff because I need to do that like I just think it's great for your mental health but uh, I, uh, I'll i still tip away um, so just I'll only tip away so I can eat more cakes and takeaways and what have you <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah no I, like professional boxing's not for me it's a business and yeah. I want to I want to Settle down proper after after Paris if I if I get there, and if I don't get to Paris, I'll be settling down even sooner. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. we have every faith that not only will you get there, but you'll do it again, Kelly. We're right behind you. Do you have much contact with Katie Taylor, and what what role has she played in in your rise to fame? Uh, no, I don't. I don't. Haven't had any contact with Katie over the years. She used to. We used to be on the same team together, you know, and the last time I've seen Katie, I think, would have probably been in the World Championships in 2016, just before she turned professional. Um, yeah, uh, that would have been the last time mm. I think I would have seen Katie or anything. And I, 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 I support her all the way. Like, she's fantastic. And what she's doing in the pro ranks, what she's done in the amateur ranks was great. And what she's doing in the professional ranks is brilliant as well, you know. But we're on two different two different journeys. I'm on mine and she's on hers and we're two different people. And, yeah. <laughs> mm. Um, but look, it's an absolute pleasure to talk to you. We love finally getting you on the show. I've been dying to talk to you. Um, uh, where can people go and find more about where to see you on the road and how to get this uh, wonderful €10,000 in funding? Um, www.spar.ie. If you just log on there, all the information will be up on there. And uh, again, I can't stress it enough. If you're not in, you can't win. €2,000 to five clubs is just... It's just amazing. So get in and try and get it. If your name's not in the hat, you can't give out. <laughs> Fair enough. Kelly Harrington, <laughs> Olympic champion. Thank you so much for joining us today. And best of luck with the Thanks community road trip from Spar. See you, Kelly. All See the you, best. Kelly. Bye, bye. The story. Today FM. Now, he's been a staple of Irish comedy for the last 30 years, and there seems to be no stopping him. At the end of August, he'll be in the Three Olympia Theatre alongside his daughter, Faye, as part of the Well Tour. Pat Short is an absolute legend. He's going to be on the road for the next few weeks. You can see him Saturday, 6th of August. He's going to be in Milltown, Malbay. August 13th, uh, he's going to be uh, in Crookstown. He's hitting Westport. He's in the Olympia from the 28th to the 27th. and uh, he's 25th and 27th, sorry. Yeah, from the 25th to the 27th, yeah. And uh, Pat Short is with us for What's the Story? How are you, Pat? Uh, good morning, Dermot. How are you, Kevin? Uh, very well. Uh, we were chatting there a few minutes ago and you were saying yeah. you visited County Clare. You went down to the Milltown Malbay, the Willie Clancy Festival, yeah. which is... Did it old school. World famous for uh, Irish traditional Giant music. Beer. And I love seeing the little videos you see coming out of there of kids just sitting on the street against yeah. the wall of a spar playing the tin whistle and it's mad you go into a pub right and into the left and the pub is a session on and you go to the jacks then down the right there's a session on. <laughs> to get to the jacks you've got to go through the kitchen there's a session in the kitchen <laughs> there's, there's one in the, the jacks, jacks is out the back and there's a turf shed and there's a session <laughs> in the turf I kid you not and there's another shed down the back which they probably pulled the tractor out of and there's a session in there I Absolutely kid you not. That was yeah. one of the pubs I walked to. Every pub was the same. Did you enjoy it? Oh, it was brilliant. Was Were you playing? No, Anything? I, no. no I, was, I was coming down from the Galway Film Flat and 
a friend of mine was standing there in a camper van. He says, mm. No problem. I have a tent and all for you. And the young fella slept in it last night and he's left his sleep bag and everything free. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> he's young fella six foot eight. I swear to God. So I thought I'd be grand. <laughs> You'd want to see the hole he put me into really? on, the, on the dudes. <laughs> There wasn't even pegs in the tent. Oh, he, he brought up rocks from the beach and wrapped the, t- the cord around him. <laughs> so Five star accommodation for fancy. Proper style. You did proper did style. Did it, did it, yeah, yeah. Did it right, and was yeah. it your first time? First time ever there. It's hard to believe it. I, like, I grew up listening to traditional music. I played traditional music. I played mm. the flute myself. And uh, I absolutely love traditional music. You and never Everybody's went. been on to me for years to come down. And for some reason, work-wise or something, it's yeah. always clashed, you know. Um, I've never I, I think even Galway Film Flat this might have been my, only my second time at it yeah but um, you were there because, uh, I had a film in it this year yeah. it's your directorial d- 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 debut directorial debut how'd you find that that was a great yeah I loved doing directing the film it was great crack yeah warts um, and all isn't that yeah, what it's called yeah yeah gosh you tell us about it well it's, it's a, it was a I, I was approached by a producer originally to look at a script editing it and uh, this, this uh, lady called uh, Michelle Lanan uh, who is acting lead actress and she wrote it, it was a lovely story and it's a, it's really like not to give away much because you probably get to see it sometime. But it's about it's 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 a simple love story between a boy and a girl, and the guy's got something he he's holding back, and he he doesn't share it with her, and it comes between the two of them, and they end up uh, it, it, this last scene, and then something happens in the last scene. But anyway, it's a really really nice story, a lovely lovely story, and it's an interesting story, and it could apply to anybody or any 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 anyone's background, whatever you know. So yeah, that was just it was look. I I didn't get into it. I, I keep saying this. They always say every actor thinks he can direct or she can direct, you know. But I produced Killing Scully for 12 years, so, and Matty and the other projects. So I know what's involved from yeah. the point of view of the work that has to go in as a director. It's huge. Uh, pre production, post production, all that stuff. As actors, it's lovely to swan in. Yeah. Do your scenes. And, and do your scenes and then call it your film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very different on the other side. You know what I mean? What's it like at the film flat, you know, when the cinema goes dark and everyone's about to watch your your first short film? Yeah, it's funny. It's funny that because I didn't think about it, you know, going into it never, but you're right. When that the light comes down and the credit comes up, warts and all, you kind of go, oh, shite, there's nowhere to hide here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll be and down the, lights, the, pub. the lights are going to come up and you're going to be having to walk out, you know. Yeah. Is that? And you don't you don't think about it. You know, I, look, I was very happy with it. I thought the story worked well. I thought as a film it really made sense. It worked well together, cut-wise. The round of applause at the end? Uh, there was, actually, yeah, yeah. Great. There was. Well, there was for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't matter. Still yeah, a round of applause. Still a round of applause. Yeah, yeah, really. exactly. I don't care if they're paid to do it. They're still clapping. <laughs> <laughs> Come here, you uh, are famously, you know, a Tipperary man, yes. but you did sneak over the border into Limerick to, yes. to live. Yes. Uh, how have you felt about the the All-Ireland and, and Liam McCarthy coming back? Can you cheer for Limerick? Yeah, no, listen, shirt is grand. It'll, it'll be good to see Limerick have it for the year and then Tipper will be in good form next year with Cal under the... Isn't that right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Tip man Cal's buzzing over there, yeah. yeah. He's, he's convinced. Yes. Listen, my, he's my, in denial as my well. My kids That's are fine. on Limerick and there, there was great excitement in the house. Yeah. Uh, you know, it really was and, and uh, it's gas. They were all heading out, you know, into town to see the team coming back and all that. I, I was just, I was thinking about it the other day, you know, it's like, we're, we're, it's, it's mad, you know, at the moment I went to see Top Gun in the cinema. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like... And, and we're in a cold war with Russia. Yeah. It's like being back in the days. All you're waiting for is Bobby Ewing to come out and take a shower. <laughs> and turn around and go, what? Limerick, clean her own? <laughs> it was all a dream. I, I, I should have had a cold shower. <laughs> Bad short, what is the story? Oh, listen, I'm going to get this off my chest. Go on. 
I shouldn't even be telling you this story. I'm nervous <laughs> in telling you this story. Brilliant. I really, yeah. Uh, so this was years back, right? Uh, in uh, a gig I was doing down the country, and um, well, it must have been ten years ago or more. And I had a new sound guy working with me. So, and I, we were short a crew member, so I had to kind of row in with him, and we set up the gig <laughs> and set up the stage and with him and showed him and programmed the lights and it all. We did the show, loaded out all the gear. I was absolutely shattered. It was well up the country as well, so we had to drive there. I'm not going to mention the town. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so we're back to the hotel anyway, and I was absolutely knackered. And he was like, come on, we go for a pint. And I go, no, seriously, I, I honestly haven't the energy for a pint. So I, I was wrecked. So I said, and I kind of felt bad. It's his first night in the road. I should really go for a drink with him, you know. But, you know, so I said, right, I'll go, I'll go for one with you. So, but I'm not going to have a pint. Just have a little whiskey, you know, because I couldn't big full pint. So, <laughs> so then I said, go down to this hotel. Oh, jeez, do we have to go down and leave the hotel? I said, right, we'll go down for once. So go down to the problems. people there that they, they were at the gig and they're sending drinks over and it's like more whiskey's coming more and I'm like, oh jeez I can't drink any more whiskey I can't drink any more I was just wrecked so I said look man go back to the hotel he said look I'll go back up with you went up to the hotel order a sandwich you know one of those hotels where you can only order a sandwich in the room yeah, yeah, yeah. so I had, to, yeah. I had to go back up to the room order a sandwich he said he, he left me lying on the bed <sighs> fast asleep with the sandwich beside me <laughs> <laughs> I woke up with a woman screaming at me saying get out what are you doing what are you doing I was like what in the name of God <laughs> I turn around as a fellow in these jocks going, everyone calm down. Everyone calm down. <laughs> I was like, what are you doing in my room? I looked over, there was two kids in the bed down on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> I suddenly realised, this isn't my room. What the fuck? I have a habit of sleepwalking when I'm really tired right. and I get a few drinks in me. I like it when I'm really exhausted. It only happens. It's happened to me three times. Yeah. So I don't know how I got into their room. Yeah, I do really. remember kind of nestling in beside them. <laughs> <laughs> so then I go back to my room and think, oh Jesus, what just happened? What just happened? Oh my God. And I woke up here and said, look, they won't, they won't know who I am. They won't know who I am. I switched on the telly. Two, 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 two. Yeah, do you remember that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Everybody knew who I was. I couldn't get away. <laughs> so I went, <laughs> Oh, the mortal! I rang the song. I said, "We got to get out of here." I know I can't. I can't meet anybody. <laughs> you can't do the buffet breakfast. So I went down to the van, and I was just getting into the van with him. And I said, "I, I never paid for the sandwich. Will you run in and pay for the sandwich?" Because the rooms were covered. And he went in, and they came out, and he said they were kind of sniggering, saying, "The sandwich is on us." <laughs> Whatever about your story, Pat, you gave that family a story that they'll never forget. <laughs> and I'm sure Everybody calm down. Every, every Christmas story. Tell us, Daddy, tell Daddy, us. tell us the story again about Pat Short climbed into your bed. <laughs> Pat Short, thanks very much for coming in for what's the story. Thank you. Good luck. Something very special for you. 80 days at sea alone with nothing but her boat, Millie, hammerhead sharks and dorada fish for company. Karen Weeks, proud Kinvara woman, left Ireland before Christmas hoping to become the first Irish woman to row solo across the Atlantic. She said she can do, and she did. She's on the line from Barbados. How are you, Karen? Hi, you doing, guys? How are you? Karen, um, you did it! You got it! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did it, and it was actually 81 days. 81 so, uh, yeah, days. I, yeah, 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 yeah. So... <laughs> Back on Terraformer now, it's just yeah. great. <laughs> well, last time we spoke to you, we were kind of joking that you would sort of just cruise up onto the beach um, and be looking at a load of families just on their holidays. But actually, this is what happened. 
And uh, that is a welcome home. Who was there, Karen? Oh my God, it was just incredible. Like I was just, um, I first of all when I came around the corner, you know, into Bridgetown here in in South Barbados. First of all, was a, a boat came out with about twenty or thirty media on it. And then this big rib came up right beside me and uh, there was a load of boats around the place as well and all hooting and hollering. And then this boat came up and uh, they came on uh, all in their combats and all the gear, like, you know, uh, to do a full medical on me. Oh. Uh, So I was taken onto this big rib and I was blood was taken and my my heart rate and all that sort of stuff. So that was amazing. And then, yeah, into the shore and I could hear hooting and hollering and I was thinking what the hell is that and there was so much, there was a band and there was uh, the minister for tourism was there and the minister for uh, what do you call that thing um, sport right? and uh, yeah it was great it was great crack all my buddies and uh, a lot of my family and stuff so yeah it was some it was some celebration that's for sure and how long ago from where you are right now because you're four hours behind us what is it 20 to 8 in the morning this was was this last night yeah, this was last night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a few hours ago, really. Yeah. It was great. It was some vibe. <laughs> it was some vibe. It was some vibe. Really some vibe. Yeah, I know you mentioned before that you had, I think, something like two beers in the boat with you <laughs> and that you were sort of rationing them out over the 80 days. Did you get to have a drink last night or do you think your body would be able to handle something like alcohol after 80 days at sea? Yeah, yeah, we had a few beers last night, it has to be said. <laughs> but it's gas because uh, on the boat, I had uh, I started off with four beers, two of them burst, uh, so I had two. And then I had one on Christmas Day, and then I couldn't find the other one. Oh, no! I wanted to have it. Yeah, I know, and it's still on the boat there somewhere, this can of warm Dorado beer. Maybe. It's still on the boat there somewhere. Maybe Millie the boat wanted it for herself. Um, Maybe Karen, she did, One yeah. of the things that we loved hearing in your voice, when we talked to you, was the the connection you had with the boat. The fact that you always talked about we, and we was you and Millie the boat, named after your mum. Um, how do you feel now, having completed, having now become the first Irish woman to row the Atlantic solo, how do you feel about Millie? Oh, she just, I swear to God, unbelievable. It actually makes me a bit emotional. But even last night, somebody, Barbados is famous for its rum, you know? And my mum used to like, uh, Millie's named after my mother, and my mother used to love Picardy and Coke, so we got a bit of rum and poured it over her bow last night. <laughs> <Brilliant>. <laughs> and what happens to yeah, Millie now, the boat? is it? Does it sort of go into a museum somewhere? Or maybe is it going to be in the, in the middle of a roundabout in Kinvara, in, under some glass <laughs> or something? What's going to happen to the boat now, do you think? Uh, yeah, so Millie, I go over there today now and just take out rubbish and all that sort of stuff. And then in a few days, uh, she gets shipped back to Ireland. And um, I know she's a, an expensive piece of kit, so she'll be sold on, I'm afraid. Mm. But uh, yeah, so I think I have a, somebody interested already. So um, yeah, no, she, she'll go and I think she might be doing the Pacific next. So um, wow. she's like such a brilliant boat. Yeah, she really yeah. is a brilliant boat. So. And look, it, it was a serious thing you did. Obviously, the celebrations, it's all about the celebrations now. But, you know, it was a dangerous trip that you took. And in fact, didn't we hear during the week that there was a male solo rower who lost his life, a 75-year-old, mm-hmm. trying to do essentially what you were doing um, looking back now obviously you know how does that feel in terms of having conquered something so dangerous and was that playing on your mind for much of the trip uh, yeah and it's, it's interesting because um, 
I, uh, during the whole 81 days, my brain could not stop. It just, it really could not, because you're always looking out for weather and navigation, all this sort of stuff, and you want to keep me and Millie safe, you know? So last night was the first time that I could just, uh, my mind could have a bit of peace. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, and I, I think over the next while, like, I got off. I got off the boat last night. My legs were all wobbly, you know, because you've been you don't have land legs. And the minister for tourism was there, and I nearly fell off the side of the pier. And he had to grab me. <laughs> Imagine if you you spent eighty-one days staying on board to get all the way across, step up on the pier, and immediately fall back into the sea. That would have made a story, all right. Yeah, geez, I really was wobbling, and I'm still wobbling this morning. I just um, had a quick walk there. But, uh, yeah, uh, it'll be nice now just to chill and just give my mind peace. You yeah, know, well, have uh, to look, work, it you is know? an amazing thing to have achieved, to become the first Irish woman to row solo. I don't, I don't even want to ask what your next plan is, but I know there's something probably you know in the back of your mind going... Uh, like I suppose I could do Everest in a yeah, boat. Or hang something. on a sec, Dave. You look at the list. I love I love hearing you, Karen, saying I'm just going to let this sink in now. Yeah. And just take a break. Like you know, you circumnavigated Ireland in a kayak. You've trekked Kilimanjaro and K2. Uh, you have solo cycled <laughs> across Canada. You've done duo cycling and endless amounts of of incredible sailing achievements. Like there's no way that you're not planning something else uh, impressive. Oh. Always scheming, always scheming. But I tell you, I'm going to I'm going to chill out for a while and uh, just kick back and relax. But <clears throat> like the campaign was called, she can do, you know, and it really is trying to encourage other girls and women to try adventure sports or just try something that they mightn't have tried before, no matter what it is. And uh, also uh, ocean conservation and sustainability there. But I, I have to say that. Uh, she can do as a campaign which she can do 2021 but it really isn't finished you know mm. it's going to be she can do it's going to be called she can do now and do you know what take the year out of it Karen out. just she can do because like that's the thing it doesn't matter what year it is you are setting examples as you said for women and girls all around the world and you also were raising funds for Laura Lynn and the RNLI as well to go along so if people want to go onto Instagram at she can do 2021 find Karen donate if you can two amazing charities but Karen we're just so immensely amazed and proud of you Ah, thanks. And guys, do you know what? Fair play to you. I always enjoyed your show and every time I'm on it, there's a load of people come on. I just heard John Dermot and Dave. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, forget the, the transatlantic row. Oh, it's yeah. being on Dermot and Dave is the real accomplishment here. Well, look, save yeah, us too. a seat at the bar in Tully's and we'll join you down there. I'm sure there'll be whooping and hollering. Perfect. There'll be a session to remember there when you eventually make it back. Well done, Karen. They had it. Yeah. Uh, just sorry, one little quick thing. They had it uh, on Facebook Live in Tully's last night and it was jammed. Oh, brilliant. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> That's better than any Champions League or Europa League matches to see the, the homecoming of Garrett yeah. into Barbados. That's yeah. brilliant. <laughs> any excuse to get down to Tully's. Thanks, guys. Well, if, you, if you've been yeah, just exactly. like doing a, a 5K run around the corner, they probably would have filled the pub as well. And Karen, I'll tell you what, when, when, when you have decided on your next crazy scheme, then drop into us in Dublin in the studio and have a chat to us and, and let us know what it is. Uh, Good on you. All right, Karen. Fair play to you guys. Thanks very much. Fair play to you. See you later. Bye. 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 Thanks. Bye. 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 There's only four sleeps left until the big day. Limerick take on Kilkenny in Croke Park this Sunday. The All Ireland hurling final, of course, and the nerves are starting to build inside both sets of fans. Sean and Cahill are jealous that their nerves aren't involved. We got a Clare man. We got a Tipperary man. 
And we got a Limerick man sitting across from me. Well, in Limerick, one man in particular has been looking for some outside help ahead of the big match. Parik Bog Carroll, <laughs> one of Limerick's biggest fans, has been praying to God all week for a Limerick win. He's on the line now. How are you, Padraig? Morning, lads. How are you? So what church have you been in? Uh, I made up my own church, actually, just for this weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Now, we've seen pictures of you. Do you wear a sombrero? I do, I do, I do. What's your full outfit for an All-Ireland final? Like, what would you be wearing? Uh, Jersey, sombrero. Uh, We have... A lot of flags got from TH flags there in Newport. They make them up specially. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, usually shorts because, uh, you know, your size would need a bit of air. You would. <laughs> You're wrapped in, wrapped in polyester. Certainly will well, this weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you've been saying prayers every day this week. Um, so have you just been doing that at home or have you actually been going into a church? No, I have actually set it up at work as well. I have the altar at work as well, so <laughs> it gives me an excuse to go to work in the mornings as well, just so that I actually have to pray. You know, <laughs> so, what's on the altar? Is there any famous faces there? What kind of things have you got there? What um, holy statues? Well, the only holy statues that really count really here in Limerick is John Kydie's pictures <laughs> and the team's pictures. So. <laughs> They're the only God that you really worship. Like, you know? <laughs> I was going to say, uh, people from other counties would be saying to you and every other Limerick fan, your prayers have already been answered. Ye have JP. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but money doesn't buy success. You know, you have to have the players. Well, it definitely helps. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, well, put it this way, Ask Man City. Yeah, we, we've heard that the Kilkenny lads, no matter what well, happens... I'm a Liverpool supporter, so we don't talk about City either. <laughs> <laughs> well, come here, we've heard that the Kilkenny lads, no matter what happens, have to drive home after the All-Ireland on Sunday because they've no hotel to stay in. But for some reason, the Limerick lads have managed to have some five-star resort they can go into. How do they afford that? <laughs> But you see, we've been up there so often that we've bought places. When <laughs> You've holiday homes up beside yeah, Crow Park. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're actually developing Dublin accents now. We are, we're up there so often. Boric, <laughs> what will you be like? You what know, about, like? what will you be like about five minutes before throw in? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, uh, I'd be usually a nervous wreck before matches. Yeah. You still because be praying. I'm usually kind of thinking about. Sometimes what's going to go wrong rather than what's going to go right, like, you well, know. There's a lot of people remembering 2019 and it went wrong for Limerick. It did, but we won't talk about Hawkeye or, or, or uh, linesmen that they like to just let that slide. You know? oh, he's a true fan, all right. Um, what's, yeah. your, what's your favourite memory? Maybe, what's, first of all, what's your earliest memory of Limerick hurling? What was any special moments growing up? Um, well, I was, I've been going to games like since the very early 80s. Um, when the league was used to be played, we'll say, in kind of before Christmas and after Christmas. So I've been following them back then to time. But I suppose the earliest good memory would, I suppose, have been like the likes of uh, 92 winning the league, 94 winning the Munster final and getting to the final, and even though we lost it. Mm. Um, but they were the early days that you kind of thought, right, well, there's a possibility of some success, like, and we had to wait a while. We had to wait Fifteen years later, it happened. Yeah, yeah, Sorry, twenty-five made, years made, later, it happened. Made it all the sweeter. It's coming. And uh, what, okay, so that you'll be a nervous wreck beforehand. But what about afterwards? If Kilkenny do it, what are you going to do, Park? Uh, 
I kind of haven't thought about that. Like, so we'll just de- you're just focusing on the positive. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah so no. it was. Look, if 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 by chance, slim chance that Kilkenny win it, well, all you can do it was is congratulate him and come back and try and take it off him again next year. But well, Rory has sent a text in to say Cody will win one more and then retire. You heard it here first. Right, right. Yeah, we just don't, don't know when that's going to happen, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not well, going to be this year. this year. Like, yeah, yeah. Maybe <laughs> when Limerick comes in the final, Cody might have a chance of having one more. But, like, I don't know. Can he stay until he's 80 or 90? Like, you know? Oh, here we go. That's fighting talk. Limerick in the final every year till Brian Cody's 80 or 90. Um, what prayers have you doing? Like, the novena? Or how many decades are... Well, does it does does we, we obviously with fifty? Usually, the rosary is kind of a uh, you know you might have the twelve decades or something like that. Uh, we throw in fifteen just to cover each of the pair. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing, like Parik, I think you've taken your eye off the ball because while you're off praying for Limerick, I mean, yesterday. Revolution began. Yeah, the Manchester yeah, United yeah, beat yeah. Liverpool four 0 in the preseason friendly cup. That's usually the one that you win early in the year. Isn't it? Yeah. They like to, they like to get their one win out of the way. Your Only this year you're having it in July. Well, listen, I'll take it. I mean, anytime you see a scoreline against Liverpool, that is four nil. And yeah. the way the my United team finished in terms of personnel, and the way the Liverpool team finished in terms of personnel, it was like, oh my god. Yeah, so. Do you remember there uh, was a sometime last season. I think it finished. Was this uh, Aguirre's nine in? Sorry, Parker, you're breaking up there, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do you say about Limerick there? I'll send in the video there of the DVD of this. Yeah, okay, it. we'll go back to the GAA. Fair enough. You've got yeah, me, yeah. you've got me, uh, you've got me. Porik, the county of Limerick thanks you for your continuous support. Your boss may not thank you for having an alder at work and obviously being distracted. But look, whatever it takes, what's your job? I work as a caretaker inside in the sports hall and crew. Good man. Okay, you're in the right business, that's for sure. And have we got a, a score prediction? Because obviously we know you think Limerick are going to win, so. I, I don't have an actual score, but I think we'll win by five or six points. Five or six points? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Dermot's agreeing with you there. We've got a Clare man and a Tipperary man here beside us, lads. Have you got predictions? Do you think like it's going to be that clear cut? I think Kilkenny are going to win by about two points. That's a Clare man. Tipperary man, that's what do you think? A, that's a bitter Clare man. Yeah, well. Yeah, I didn't want to say that, but. Oh, the Tipperary man is holding off on his judgment. Okay, all right, all right, fair enough. The prayer man probably just hates both of us. You're right, Farley Carroll. You're right. Come here, enjoy the week. Keep the prayers coming in, and uh, we'll we never know. We might give you a buzz on Monday morning if you're able to talk and tell us everything happened when you yeah, win by five so, yeah, or six you, points. You, you, you can come over and give, him the, give a look at the trophy when you want. <laughs> fair enough, Farley. Come on, Farley. See you. Right, Hi to everybody in Croom. Bye. There are very few women in the world who wouldn't love to be in the famous wardrobe of Carrie Bradshaw, but for our next guest it became a reality. Gabrielle Malone is on the line. She's an Irish knitwear designer. You can find her on GabrielleMaloneDesign.com. How are you Gabrielle? I'm good, thank you. How are you guys? So what was that moment like when you looked at the telly and said, oh my god, it's there. Oh, it was unbelievable. Like, my hands were shaking when I was trying to get a a, a photo of it. Um, I only learned about like two hours beforehand that it was going to be in our wardrobe so it's still um, a bit surreal. Wow and how did it end up there? Um, So it was bought as a gift 
for um, the set decorator, actually, who works on And Just Like That. And then she started following me on Instagram, so she was familiar with the brand. Um, she saw how I made everything at, in my studio in Kildare, and she was just really interested in it. So when she wore it on set, I think it was in November when it started to get a little chilly in New York, Michael Patrick King, the director of And Just Like That, and Sarah Jessica Parker came over to her and they're asking her about what she was wearing and they loved it. And because she followed me on Instagram, she knew all about my brand. So she was telling wow. them and they're, yeah, and they were so nice and they just put it in the back um, to kind of, you know, give me a little bit of a shout out and yeah, it was amazing. And this is the show, of course, which is the reboot to Sex in the City and Just Like That, like you mentioned, um, which has obviously, you know, made headlines around the world. So this is a big, big show. And when your item of clothing, your design appears on a show like that, what does it mean to you? It's, uh, it's kind of indescribable. I know that sounds cheesy, but it's just, it's such, um, like you said, such a well-known show, but also particularly for fashion and even have that screenshot of Carrie Bradshaw next to it is incredible um, yeah it's it's just a dream come true and does it open actual doors for you does it mean you, your designs now can go a little bit more global even yeah exactly um, because um, I've, I've, I'm really lucky in Ireland where there's a lot of support um, and a lot of sales but now it's it's opening doors that more people abroad can see it so that's really um, exciting and right after um, it premiered I've completely sold out of the, the cardigan that she had in her wardrobe see, in all sizes that, and all colours that's, yeah that's always <laughs> the test because it's all great you know to get the feature and there's no doubt about it that's an incredible thing yeah. and to have on your website that picture of Carrie Bradshaw sitting beside your cardigan is amazing but it needs to translate into sales and I'm so glad to hear that you're sold out and yeah, do you, you make these things by hand don't you? yeah I make them by hand um, in my studio in Kildare myself and uh, looking to I'm I have my next collection coming out in March and I'm looking to expand and maybe hire a few people. Wow. So that's going, yeah. Well, tell us about this famous cardigan that made it into Carrie Bradshaw's wardrobe. Describe it and, you know, how you made it, what's going on, what was the inspiration? Yeah, of course. So it's called the Wave Cardigan. So it's inspired by, um, I go up to Donegal a lot. My, my family's from there. Um, and when I was staying there in between the second and third lockdown, it was just really stormy. Um, you know, it, it was in December last year and I just kind of wanted to replicate all the kind of stormy waves crashing against the rocks into knitwear. I thought that would be interesting. So it's um, a chunky cardigan um, and it's uh, like kind of plain on the top and then the other half is, wavy so where the name comes from and it's made out of Peruvian wool and it's dyed um, using kind of sustainable dyes they they're less harmful to the environment and also gentler on the skin that's good and did you invent the stitch that goes into the sleeves and the bottom half of the cardigan that has this wave pattern on it yeah so I always try to do something a bit different so I'll go through um, like old iron patterns or old kind of stitch books and I'll try I'll do the pattern but then I might throw in an extra stitch
stitch or an extra line to kind of disrupt it and make it a bit different. Mm. Um, just so it stands out. Yeah. So what age did you start getting into design and creating your own garments? I, mean, I know you, you went to NCAD, graduated in 2019, but what's your earliest memory of really being attracted to that kind of thing? Um, God, it's it's kind of always been a, uh, a part of me, always making and stuff. Um, but I do remember when I was younger, I, I used to um, go through my mum's wardrobe and uh, whatever I thought would be really nice. Uh, God, it was so bad. I remember I took one of her cashmere sweaters once um, and I cut off the sleeve to make dresses <laughs> for my Barbies. And then I went through, she had costume jewellery, like thankfully not like real pearls. Yeah. And I cut the string and started sewing embellishments onto then the cashmere Barbie dress. And she came home and I was like, Mom, look what I did, look what I did. Um, so she wasn't too pleased with that. But, you know. yeah. Well, you yeah. sure you have a lot in common with Carrie Bradshaw. You clearly both have really expensive tastes. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, people can go to Gabrielle Malone Design on Instagram or GabrielleMaloneDesign.com. As Gabrielle said, unfortunately, the cardigan is currently sold out. But I'm sure it'll be back soon with a new collection in March and everything. And Gabrielle, congratulations on being featured in and just like that it's an amazing thing to achieve and hopefully you go on to bigger and better things from here oh uh, thank you so much guys the story today fm so what's the story is basically where we get somebody to come on the radio and tell their favorite ever their best ever their most incredible their funniest their wildest story ever we've had stories about naturists when someone was fixing the dishwasher uh, we've had stories about French exchanges that went wrong. We've had stories from comedians, from listeners. Everybody. If you have a story and you want to share it with us, then Dermot and Dave at todayfm.com is the email address. to so just send us your story and we will get you on the radio and you can tell it to everybody. But yesterday, we got one of our favourite comedians in the world, Mr. Pat Short in. And in fairness to Pat, he could talk about anything and we'd all be laughing. But the story he told yesterday was phenomenal. And it was basically about Pat getting involved in sleepwalking in a hotel when he was a little bit tired and emotional after a big show and he was, you know, extra, extra exhausted and this happened. He said he, he left me lying on the bed. I woke up with a woman screaming at me saying, get out, what are you doing, what are you doing? I turned around as a fellow in his jacks going, everyone calm down. Everyone calm down. <laughs> I suddenly realised this isn't my room I have a habit of sleepwalking when I'm really tired and I get a few drinks in me so I don't know how I got into their room yeah, I can't remember kind of nestling in beside him <laughs> <laughs> the best thing about the story was this is the first time Pat has ever told the story like to anybody ever but because Ireland is the way Ireland is straight away we got a note in from Sinead and Peter O'Connell and Sinead's on the phone now hi Sinead Hi. Sinead, is that you? Is that your family? The Pat Short ended up in yes. your room? Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. It was about 10 years ago, yeah. Um, uh, I was up kind of our direction uh, and um, we had our two youngsters in the room with us as well and uh, we awoke in the middle of the night to uh, somebody climbing on top of us. Oh my God! <laughs> and... Uh, we thought it was one of the boys um, <laughs> that they had just gone to the toilet and were climbing back into bed because we heard the toilet flushing. Right. <laughs> and uh, my husband put his hand up and he felt uh, a head and he realised it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't one, one of your small one of the boys. boys. <laughs> 
And what I mean, like, I just, I know it's such a funny story, but I just cannot imagine what was going through your heads. Yeah, well, uh, I'd say for days after, all we could uh, think of was that, you know, that um, that ad programs are uh, that, uh, jingle. that that jingle, that passes. Um, oh, t- <laughs> Well, that's what Pat said yesterday. He said that he thought that maybe he might get away with it, that you wouldn't know who he was. But of course, uh, at that point, he wasn't. Not, not only was he one of the funniest and most famous comedians earned, he was also on the do 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 ad. Well, look, <laughs> we feel it's only fair that we should allow Mr. Pat Short the opportunity to apologise to you in person. So he's on the phone right now. How are you, Pat? How are you doing, Sinead? I'm so sorry. Hi, Pat. I'm, I'm delighted. I'm delighted to hear I went to the toilet. <laughs> yeah, at least I, I wasn't that was, in a wardrobe I, or something. I, I, I think that was my plan originally. When I left my... <laughs> and you picked up your shoes as well before you went out. So. <laughs> really, Sinead, you'll have to tell him I was fully dressed. You were. You were. Thank God. Yeah, you were fully dressed. Except for the shoes. Yeah. <laughs> I have done it two hundred times where I was. Oh God! You, were, you got off lightly, so Sinead and Peter. In fairness, oh Pat, I'm I feel terribly bad. I couldn't live with myself for about a year after that. I was absolutely mortified. I was just it's thinking the poor, the poor family. Oh, uh, listen! I'm, I'm 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 delighted everyone was safe after that. <laughs> <laughs> but you weren't getting off scot free, that's for sure, Pat. There was no, no anonymity is, involved. This is the nightmare that keeps giving. I can tell you, I live with the nightmare, not the dream. <laughs> because we were laughing so much yesterday, we didn't even really have a chance to get back into it. But like, like do, you've said, this has happened a few times. Have you wandered into other people's hotel rooms before, or is it just wandering around places? No, I just wandered around corridors um, <laughs> in different countries, ringing, ringing, trying to find a phone to ring someone at reception. <laughs> oh, God. Pat Short, thank you for what's the story yesterday, and thank you for appearing today to, uh, to do your groveling apology to Sinead and Peter. You're a legend. Absolutely, Sinead. My apologies. That's, that's now the whole nation. <laughs> <Pat goes accepted. laughs> you very, your very conscience much. is clear, Pat. <laughs> Have I a good can, one. I can breathe clearly. Yeah, Thank exactly. You. See you, Pat. Thanks a million. Uh, Sinead and Peter, and like, I mean, I just, yeah, like, for like, were the two boys awake? Did they, like, realise what was going on? No, I put you out to Peter here, here, here. Peter, yeah, yeah, we need to get Peter's side of things, because you were the man in the jocks, Peter, standing up going, you were going, everybody calm down. Well, that's it. Like, he jumped up and because when he came down the bed first, and, and we were comatose because the two kids were really young. Yeah, so it's like sleep, sleep any sleep you can get. Yeah, exactly. It's only when I put my hand on the head and to slightly bigger and sweatier than normal. That's <laughs> when <laughs> the penny dropped. And I think the whole all oh, hell broke loose. We jumped up. And then there was that surreal kind of couple of seconds where you're about to shout at this fella, and next thing you recognise the face, and you're like, what the? Oh, my <laughs> God. Anyway, sorry, and I interrupted you there. Sorry, so the boys did sleep through most of it, did they? They did, oh, they did. yeah. yeah. Oh, that's good. They don't have that memory. Well, come here. Fair play to you for getting in touch. And Sinead, I believe it's birthday at the weekend. Oh my God, who told you? No, don't be worried about who told me. It, it might have been a lot of people getting in touch, but a big happy birthday to you at the weekend. Thank you. All right, Sinead and Peter, thanks for talking to us this morning. Okay, All the best, guys. See you later. Bye, 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 bye. 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 Contenders ready. Gladiators ready. 
One of the best TV shows of the 90s is back. Gladiators will be coming back to the BBC next year. But did you know that Ireland had its own Gladiator winner? Audrey Garland is from Dublin. And back in 1997, she was the winner of Gladiators. She's on the line to tell us all about it. Hello, Audrey. Hi, how are you? We're very well. Does it seem like a million years ago or just yesterday? Uh, I'd like to say just yesterday, but really it's a long time ago now. Yeah, well, 25 years ago you were on the telly and uh, you were very good, particularly at the Eliminator. Was The Eliminator was the final round that was essentially like a giant obstacle course. Exactly, yeah, yeah. It was great fun as well. So I kind of made up my mind that that was going to be the one I was going to be best at. Because even if you were behind on points and you were good at the Eliminator, you had a chance of catching up. Okay, so will you just take us back, because for anybody who either hasn't ever seen it or maybe has a vague memory of it, exactly how did the show work? So the gladiators were these kind of super buff men and women, unbelievable tans, amazing 90s like underwear, effectively, they were wearing. But you were <laughs> battling against them. Tell us exactly how the format of the show worked. So um, you went through a, lot, a process of getting selected for the show so when it was on TV, they would put up, like, for those who wanted to apply to be on next year's. So that's how it started for me. And um, 27,500 people applied. So we had to do a load of fitness tests um, to see if we were fit enough to do it. And then it was, like, screen tests and interviews to see if we could kind of talk and answer the questions we were being asked. Of course. Before we even got to do the competition. So when the competition, if, when we got picked, we went over the train for six weeks over in uh, Birmingham. Six and weeks? Then, um, big commitment. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was a big commitment, but uh, you needed it to get used to all of the, um, you know, to get used to all the equipment and that and how the show was going to operate. Um, and then to make sure we could do it as well. I mean, I had never really done the Illuminator or the zip lines at that time, so it gave us a chance to practice on them. It must have been... Amazing walking into those places and seeing all the equipment set up, and, and then eventually being it being filmed in oh, a big it was arena. Fantastic! Like especially I was, I was a big fan of it. I loved watching it on TV. So to actually be there and get to have a go of it, it was just like a big playground. And you it must was have been hard. There. It was great fun. I was going to say it must be hard, but you must have been fairly fit at the time if you were able to get through all of the kind of fitness tests and the, okay, the screen tests are different, I suppose. But like, you, what were you doing at the time that had you in such good shape? Um, well, I committed to training for us. I was training up to three times a day. So I was very lucky. I got a lot of help from different people in different areas. So I was taught how to climb the wall. Um, the army took me on to do the assault course with me. In the the Irish army? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so a couple of the sergeants took me on. And I used to go down to the Curra and train down there. And... Um, it was great crack, but like they were throwing me down, six foot down in dungeons and kind of telling me to find my way out. So it was like do or die, you know? Sounds like that yeah. TV show Ultimate Hell Week. He said this was your training for a <laughs> glitzy Saturday night <laughs> entertainment show. It. Yeah, I'd say it so. Without the water. Uh, without the water, yeah. Okay, so then take us then to the actual, when you were, your appearance on it. So were you confident going in that you were going to have a chance to win or did you just say, look, I've, I've done all the training, I'll just give it a bit of a lash and see what happens? Yeah, well, I was confident in the sense that I said, look, I can't do any more. Mm. I'm after training so hard and put so much into it. I wanted to enjoy it, but I was also like, you have to be positive. Um, I was the only Irish girl over there, so it was a little bit intimidating. So uh, I, I was over there to win it. 
from the start. And I'm going to be honest with you. What about your round? So, Who did you go up against? Can you remember? Which gladiators? Uh, oh, I got up against them all eventually. Um, Lightning and Rio, Rebel. They were the main gladiators at the time. Right. And then you got to the Eliminator. Were you? Did you have any time built up? Did you have a head start or were you playing against someone who had a head start? Um, I, I had it both ways. So I did about four ri- rounds of it up to the final. So in the first round, I was actually knocked unconscious. I was injured. What? And, uh, what happened you? My shoulder. Uh, lightning took me out of it and Powerball. She did a dirty tackle now. She pulled me from my feet. It was below the waist. You know, you're not allowed to do that. I remember Powerball. Yeah, that was like, it was almost like rugby or something, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, yeah. So she caught me by the feet at full speed and um, I went over and hit my head and dislocated my shoulder. Oh, so this was in I, the first round? The first round, yeah. I was raging. But um, they gave me about an hour backstage to kind of get myself together. <laughs> That's and, not uh, exactly the, the, the concussion protocol <laughs> yeah. in most sports these days. You've been knocked unconscious and your shoulders are dislocated, but you're on TV, so you've got an hour. Yeah, just like Mel Gibson in yeah, Lethal Weapon, you just whacked it off the cupboard. I'm ready to go. <laughs> Let me back in there. Oh, okay, so you went back in for round two. What, what, what was the second uh, one? The, the game that I went back in on was, uh, you know where... You know what, I can't remember the name of it, but you cross a bridge and they kind of have by a giant cannonball and they're swinging it at you. Oh, yeah. To try and knock you off the bridge. But because I was kind of, you know, a bit concussed, I was seeing like three and four of the balls. <laughs> so it was like, I was taking pot luck like getting to the other side. So I had luck on my side for that game. Yeah, yeah so The answer to the question is that when I went into the Eliminator, I was behind. You were behind. the other contender had won all the games because I was out of it. Right. But um, I, I managed to scrape it back. Well, let's have a listen. This, this is the moment that Audrey Garland from Ireland in 1997 was on the Eliminator. Here she goes. They can see so for Audrey, a travelator away from the championship. The only thing they want her to exercise now is caution. Here she comes. Oh, she's there. Audrey Garland, the female gladiator champion of 1997. Wow, 1997 <laughs> champion. Cool. Unbelievable. What did you win? What was the prize? Uh, at the time, I won a thousand pounds and um, a car. A car? A sports cabriolet, yeah. Oh, yeah. you, you know, our Emer here on the team uh, apparently lived near to you, was a huge Gladiator fan, and she used to see you driving around in this shiny green sp- sports car, and you were just <laughs> the coolest person on earth to her. Yeah, I could never say I was somewhere that I wasn't, because everyone spotted me with the car, so I always <laughs> yeah. had to flute about where I was. And was it okay, like, you know, to be registered in Ireland and all those boring kind of paperwork things when you won it? Uh, well, that's a, that was a bit of a story. It took a bit of time for um, for the tax and that was being looked for on the car at the time. So, no, <laughs> we had to leave it there for eight months to like eliminate part of the tax, but it still cost me to bring it home. No, your prize cost you money. <laughs> I know, I know. I, and I, I felt like saying, oh, listen, you can keep it, but fact that, it worked too hard for us. Absolutely. Absolutely yeah. Yeah. Well, great memories. And how long did you have the car just out of interest from 1997 when you got it? Um, I, I got it uh, in 1997 and I had to sell it when I was uh, pregnant on my first child because the car, uh, the pram wouldn't fit in the boot. Because <laughs> that's where the roof <laughs> so, went because it was a drop top. I was yeah. actually devastated. <laughs> I bet you were. Uh, so oh, you must brilliant. be excited about it coming back on telly. It's going to bring back uh, some nice memories for you. Are you still involved in the world of fitness? I am indeed, yeah. I never left us, Yes. You know, I'd love to have another shot at it. If they bring back the Masters now, it would be, you know, just to give it a whirl. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And what, what, when you say you're working in fitness, have you got a gym? 
Um, I teach uh, strength and conditioning for women. I rent, um, I train in this gym in CrossFit DSC and I rent upstairs and teach uh, my classes up there. Fantastic. Well, if somebody wants to be trained by you, how do they get in touch? Oh, they can get in touch with me on Instagram or Facebook page. What are you on Instagram? Uh, Garland Audrey Garland Audrey alright uh, pleasure to talk to you former winner 1997 of Gladiators I'm sure you'll be uh, excited to watch it when it comes back on I the telly indeed yeah lovely sure, to chat yeah. to you Audrey Thanks a million See ya. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Now, I don't know about you but uh, I've been out the back garden with the my top tip by the way for the summer is to inflate your swimming pool your paddling pool with a hairdryer you'll thank me later but literally doesn't say, don't mind your pumps, don't mind trying to blow it up with your lungs. Use the hairdryer and away you go. It'll work. But how about not inflating the pool, actually building one to cool down? Michael Farrelly from Carna Cross is on the line now to explain the amazing way his family and friends have spent the heat wave. How are you, Michael? How are you doing? Not bad at all. Where are you, Carna Cross and Meath, is it? Yeah, we're changing it now. It's Costa del Sol in Canada. <laughs> so come here. Tell everybody what you've done because you've taken the kind of the surroundings that you're familiar with and you've turned it into something unbelievable. Yeah, we, we operate a small farm here and uh, my nephew uh, came up with an idea. He said we should gather these bales, Eamon Whelan and Thomas Whelan, give him a hand. And we gathered up these bales. They're in eight, eight foot long by four foot yeah. uh, diameter. And uh, we put them together. <clears throat> and then we got uh, cubes of uh, water and we put them on the outside of it to support it. And then we put plastic that you use to cover a silage pit into the centre of it. <laughs> and uh, we have as rainwater on the farm and we filled it with water and we have a swim. Amazing! And how it's, deep uh, is it? It's it's four foot deep. Four it's foot deep, plenty deep. Plenty deep. We're looking at a plan maybe to try and make it five foot. We might have to put a little square bale on top or something, but right. there's always room for improvement. Yeah, well, that's the thing. <laughs> so you now have your very own family swimming pool that you can all use in the hot weather when the rest of us are all sweating. Yes, and it's brilliant. Now we're getting great fun out of it. it it's, it's 40 foot long and it's 10 foot wide. So there's a good area to swim. God, there is. Um, yeah, we can get up there at 6 o'clock in the morning and go for a dash and then go off and, and do a bit of work and come back what? then at lunchtime. And <laughs> What's the water temperature like? Water temperature is very good because the pontine is black yeah. and it's attracting the heat. That's really so good. The temperature is very good. Yeah, no, we're very happy with it. Because that's the thing, I wouldn't be a fan of d- dipping into an L rainwater pool if it was like, you know, f- like cold, <laughs> as cold as the ocean. But I'd, yeah, no. I'd get into yours, Michael. Yeah, no, no, it's doing very good. Now, we're very happy with it. Now, unfortunately, we can't open it to the public with regulation and health and safety course, and everything. Of course, we, of we course. We have to keep it restricted, but we're very, very happy with it. We're getting wet fun out of it. Between yourself and the nephews and all of it, I mean, like, how many people would be able to get into it at one well, time? We, we, we probably had about uh, 40 in it last night at one point. <laughs> so, Amazing. Absolutely we had, we brilliant. We volleyball in it last night, so <laughs> very good. <laughs> and come here. So the, the stuff you use, as you said, that you traditionally would use to, to cover the silage or whatever, the black plastic stuff, that is obviously one huge sheet is it? It's a huge sheet, yeah. It's 75 foot long and it's it's uh, 35 foot wide. My God. So it, it seals the walls and it, 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 it holds the water. Now, unfortunately, if this gets a hole, if it's burst at all, we're, yeah. we're, we're deflated very quick. Very quick, very quick. <laughs> well, the good thing as well is that people can go and see the pictures of this. So it's all over our social media. So if you go to At Today FM on Twitter, you go to At Today FM on Instagram, on Facebook, you can have a look. And you can see Michael's absolutely phenomenal pool. It is so big. I'm really impressed with the size, I have to say. 
Yeah, and we can't believe, like, we just put a picture up on Facebook. We, 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 I a small little hotel down in Mona County, Cavan, Killian's Lodge, and we put stuff up from time to time. And yeah. Jesus, I've never seen that like this. It's just, it's, it's just rocket <laughs> I'm not surprised that uh, a homemade pool made, made out of yeah. bales of hay is d- yeah. definitely not something you see every day of the week. But it is, I have to say, it is very well constructed. That's the thing about it. Like, it's not just a ramshackle thing. Like, it, like, it really does look like it would be, you know, it would withstand the 40 people that are in there playing volleyball yeah, last no, night. Uh, we've done the calculations on it. There's over 30 tonne of water in it, so we had to have a good sturdy wall on it and have it yeah. well supported and no, it's, it's it's going very well. We're very happy with well, it. I think, Michael, what you need to do is you need to bring this down to the to the hotel, like you were saying, Killian's Lodge. Get like bring it down there. Get the regulations, get the licenses, and have the swimming yeah, pool added to the absolutely. hotel. Absolutely, yeah. Be a leisure centre. Be a <laughs> five star leisure yeah. centre. Yeah. Oh, Michael Farley, <laughs> thanks so much for joining us, and fair play to you for figuring out a way to enjoy the heat wave better than anybody else. Fair play, Michael. Not at all. Thanks for the call. Mate. All the Cheers. best. See Bye you later. Bye bye bye. I want to be part of it. New York, New York. How far would you travel for a pint? How about across the ocean? Well, for our next guest, he's finally getting to cash in on a long-standing IOU from an Irish J1 student. <laughs> John McDonough has just landed from New York City and he's in studio with us now. Good morning to you, John. Yeah, guys, thanks for having me on. Uh, it is very, very interesting as to how you got here. Let's just focus on the IOU and talk to the man, uh, Shane Gaffney, who was a J1 student many years ago. Hello, Shane. Hey, how are you, Dave? Uh, it's Dermot here. Dave's here as well, of course. Hey, and, Shane. And uh, oh. what part of uh, Ireland are you from? Uh, I'm from Dublin, House. Okay, um, oh, we could be neighbours. Um, <laughs> but when were you over in New York and how did this IOU come about? Um, I was over in New York in about 2013 um, with a couple of pals. Uh, we were working in Connecticut in a golf club in uh, called Wingfoot. Standard um, J1 messing, it sounds like. Of course, yeah, yeah, it was. Um, and we just like, we nipped out to New York most weekends um, and we were on a night out and I was heading back to a few pals' house or to actually a friend's house. Um, quite late and uh, yeah didn't have a card machine in the taxi so it was about 10 years ago um, didn't have any cash so yeah <laughs> we were I, I John seemed like a nice guy go crack um, and yeah he accepted an IOU from Gaffney's and yeah so Gaffney's is it's, the family pub in Fairview if anybody has been to Crow Park I'm sure they'll have been to Gaffney's uh, but uh, yeah so Gaffney's in Fairview Gaffney and Sons that's the family so you figured I've got. I've, there's, no, there's no way he's going to believe this kid is worth an IOU, but the family pub is worth the IOU. I like your thinking, Shane. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, I wasn't really uh, sure what to do. Didn't know if there was any ATMs around. And then, sure, look, I asked him, "Do you like Guinness?" Because we, uh, we, we serve a very nice uh, pint of cream. And uh, yeah, he was um, very happy to accommodate. Yeah, but I suppose lots of us, as Dermot mentioned this, yeah, we were talking about it the other day. Lots of us kind of go away on holidays. We meet our best friend on our foreign holiday. Hey, come and stay with us. But we never expect someone to rock up yet. Here's John. And John, you're cashing in your IOU to Shane. Yeah, finally, after nine years, I'll be heading over to Gaffney's to get it. But it's a very inexpensive free pint. Because I paid $700 for the Aer Lingus ticket. Most people go to a bar, buy a car or a bicycle or walk. I've actually taken a plane to get this pint again. So it's $350 a pint. Are you, are you due 
you to go for no, this. No, but they're pint? good points. They're good points. Yeah, are you going for the pint today, John? Is that no, the plan? I, I got to ask you guys this. Is this normal for an American landing in Dublin? Right. When I got here yesterday, I got my email, and in the email it says, Hello, John. I'm a representative from Guinness, and we require your presence at the warehouse uh, for a free tour and free Guinness. Are you available? I said, am I available? Right after this show, I'm going to be going down there knocking on those big wooden doors. I'm going to see a descendant of Arthur Guinness right now. Let's go. Yeah, everyone gets the same email. It's not yeah, so special for thinking. you, John. That's no. normal, right? Yeah, no, it so is we, not normal. You've been summoned to the store. Yes. That's an wow. incredible. Down to the Vatican. Yeah. And I'll be going in. That's it. And then maybe you can spare some time to pop up to, to Gaffney's then. And I'm heading right there. I hope to be there around 2 o'clock. Okay, so are you going to roll out the red carpet for him then, Shane? Uh, of course, 100%. Yeah, yeah amazing. But look, um, John, I want to talk to you about your backstory because it's a fascinating one. You're a yellow cab driver in New York City for 40 years. You must have seen some strange and wonderful things over the years. Yeah, you have. And the surprising thing about it is I survived a lot of them because there was a lot of robberies, people mm. jumping out. That's why with Shane offering an IOU, most people who want to beat the fair, they'll jump out or they'll rob you, put mm. a gun to your head. So mm. what he was doing, you know, I said, listen, I can go with that. But uh, <laughs> throughout the 40 years, and I do my one-man play about it, I, I've met the most interesting people from Stephen Fry to Richard Hammond, Salomon Rushdie. And so I we'll, combine. Well, slow down. We got to go back point. over those. So hang on. So Stephen Fry, do you do you drive him around just one little journey? I, I or? did a documentary with him. It was Stephen Fry in America? Right. And I brought him to a mob club in Queens to meet the boys. Okay. And I said, in this club, <laughs> Goodfellas is not a movie; it's a documentary. So right. I brought him down. He won a BAFTA award, and then Richard Hammond was doing a show called Crash Course, and he wanted to learn how to drive a yellow cab. So I taught him for two days how to drive a yellow cab. Well, what was your yellow cab? Was it a Crown Vic or what was it? Yeah, at that time it was, yeah. Actually, he did the thing called Crash Course. It was a Crown Vic, yeah. Right. You're very good on that because they've changed. I started with a Checker, a Crown Vic, and now they're these Nissans with the sliding doors. Oh, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. the bigger ones. Yeah, so yeah. They've evolved. And, uh, have you had a gun placed to your head? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody was saying to me, oh, you're an actor? I said, you better be because when you got a gun to your head and the guy's looking for money, and you want to keep everybody calm, you're looking straight ahead, you hand the money. And I said, that's that's acting at its best. Yeah. But, but I've also had an ice pick put to my throat. People jumped out. Now, this is over the course of 40 years. Now, yeah. if this went on every night, you know, yeah, you wouldn't do your, it. your nerves would be shot. Yeah. Did you work at night or days? Of- I, I, I started out at nights. Mm. But, you know, as I got older, I, I just couldn't take the nonsense at night. The drunks, the people jumping on you, you know, trying to carjack you and stuff like that. The, the daytime is a little bit calmer. It's business people going from A to B. So you, you can but handle it, that a bit better. I mean, it does sound terrifying at night, but New York has a reputation of being a crazy place to drive a car oh, around well, anyway. Well, I, I tell the story in the play about a guy going to Lower East Side Avenue B, and it looked like Dresden after World War II. And he would go, oh, listen, you see that burnt out building? Can you wait for me? I'm going to be five minutes. <laughs> so he said, all right. So the next thing, he comes flying out with a gun in one hand and a bag of dope. So he jumps into the car and he's going, go, go, go. So now I'm a wheelman and a drug robber. <laughs> oh but God. the only good thing about that, guys like that tend to tip better because oh. they have the money <laughs> yeah. and the dope and the gun. So, you know, I, I tell stories like that. But they don't have that now because you got an app. If you need Coke or heroin, you just hit the app and <laughs> the guy's on a bicycle and he's delivering it to you. So you're, taking your, you're taking your getaway yeah, driver. Yeah, cutting down on my business. Yeah. Shane, when you were over and you were in John's and you were going to negotiate the IOU, were you considering that this is the kind of stuff that John has seen day in, day out? 
No, no, not at all. Uh, <laughs> not at all. But what he did, like, there's a picture of the IOU. Um, there's a full paragraph that I wrote uh, detailing the two points for John, everything like that. So it was quite organized, quite quite straightforward. <laughs> um, so no, I, I didn't have a clue he's been through all this. But I'll have a good chat with him later. All well, absolutely. It. And John, you, you mentioned very quickly there that you've, you've turned this into a one-man play. But like, let's talk about that for a minute because this is something that people in Ireland can go and see. Is it tonight and tomorrow night or the next two nights? For the next uh, Thursday, Friday and Saturday at the Sean O'Casey Theatre. And then I head up to my mother's county, dear old Donegal, at the Abbey Arts Centre in Ballyshannon for October 8th. And that's for the relations in the area to come. But the the next three nights at the Sean O'Casey Theatre on Eventbrite, you get it's almost sold out. Great. And, you, you know, it, it's interesting. I've I just given you little snippets, mm. but I use the video clips of Stephen Fry being brought into this club and he's hanging out with the boys and he's going, oh my, oh my. And they're talking about fixing races, running numbers, how to take bets. Yeah. And you talk about being out of his element, but he loved it, man. He he was a great guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, New York has changed a lot over the last 40 years. I mean, you had high crime rates in the 80s, then Giuliani came in and and cleaned the place up, supposedly. Um, and now, I guess, maybe you get the impression, maybe it's sliding back into a little of, the, little of those older days. How, how have you seen oh, the city change? Oh, we're not sliding. We jump back. It's back to the future. Really? Oh, I'm telling you now, between the subways and what's going on, particularly in Manhattan, Manhattan is just off the charts with crimes and robberies and everything like that. You, you really got to watch yourself when you're coming over now. And what's happening in the subways? Well, the subways, a lot of the homeless are using it because they don't want to go to the shelters. They're too dangerous. So they're riding the subways and they're having psychotic events. Like, you know, if you're up near the edge of the platform, they'll just walk by and just one hand to push you in front of the train. So in the past year, there's been maybe five to ten people killed, hit by trains coming in by being pushed on the subway. So when I take the subway, I stay on the stairs going down to the platform. But, man, you see all these hipsters from Brooklyn. They're, they're leaning over the platform with their phones. You say, you, are you out of your mind? Do you read the paper? So you got to be you know, more pull careful. Back. Yeah, you yeah, got to yeah, have yeah. your head about you now. You know, why, do you, why do you think? Has it been COVID that kind of contributed to that? Or? I, I, I think there's a combination of everything. There's been a lot of new laws brought into New York about no bail. Like a lot of guys getting arrested, unless it's a major crime, you, you, you don't have bail. You're just automatically released. And they become just repeat offenders. Mm. And it's a, you know, it's a revolving system. And that now there's elections going on in New York. And it's going to really be based on, on crime uh, because it, it's back with a vengeance. Well, it does sound like the late 80s, all right, when that was definitely yeah. the, the thing yeah, that yeah. people were voting for. Uh, okay, so, John, you'll be in the uh, O'Casey Theatre Thursday, Friday, Saturday, up in Donegal. Then, and that's, your, that's where your mom is from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, my, my father's from Tyrone. They, they immigrated. Uh, as I said, instead of coming to Queens, to Sunnyside and Woodside, where the Irish were living, yeah. they moved to an Italian neighborhood. And the first thing my mother did was have the house painted green to let them Italians know uh, the Irish are moving in. <laughs> I was like, this is probably not the best way to introduce yourself to the Italians. The only Italian, said, Irish neighborhood. They, Italian. they might not like what you're doing, and I heard that they can get kind of rough, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, look, we love what you're doing. Enjoy the storehouse today. Enjoy getting your two pints finally paid back to yeah, you by Shane. Shane. Make sure you look after him now, won't you, Shane? Yeah. 
Shane Gaff- will uh, Gaffney and it's going to be Arthur I'll be looking uh, for Arthur, Arthur first Gaffney's later yeah, uh, Shane one piece. Yeah. <laughs> don't worry we'll make sure he gets out of here at one piece and well anyway. done for honouring your IOU a lot of people wouldn't have done that so well done Shane <laughs> Thanks, that, finally John I want to ask you after all the years of driving around New York have you ever actually heard anyone on the street look in your window and say hey I'm walking here <laughs> No. <laughs> John McDonough. in the movies. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Crazy what? Hard work, dedication, and a brilliant manager can do. Because they've done it. Ireland have qualified for the 2023 World Cup. Amber Barrett scored in the 72nd minute in Scotland. And then the team had a nail-biting few minutes waiting for the final whistle to blow. But it blew, and Ireland were straight into the World Cup. Australia, New Zealand, 2023. And Vera Powell is the Irish football manager. She's on the line now. Vera, how are you? <laughs> I'm tired. I'm happy. <laughs> um, uh, also mixed feelings for the yeah the, the the tribute that Amber gave to uh, to the people in Donegal. That was so special, and it is how the whole team has felt it and uh, has been part of our conversations. And that she did it. It must it must have come from somewhere. Just, yeah. Unbelievable, and and the emotions are, emotions are going in any direction. So it's such a special moment moment for all of us. It sure is. And Amber was on this morning with our our friend and colleague Ian Dempsey having a chat, and she talked about uh, her connections to Donegal. The last few days have been have been very difficult, and I mm-hmm. think people don't realize how difficult it's been because again, we don't realize the effect that you know a small community has on on people, and you know again. I'm very, very grateful to be in a position that in some way I can make a dedication to those people yeah. because, you know, they've touched so many lives and regardless of, you know, what's happened, I would just like to emphasize the importance of community, you know, tightness that all the communities have in Ireland. There you go. Very special lady and a very special goal she scored in the 72nd minute. Was that something that came from the training ground or was it just a flash of, of talent from Amber? Uh, both. <laughs> um, she said after uh, after we we went off, actually at the party last night, she said to the goalkeeping coach who analysed the goalkeeper of the opponent, um, I knew that she was uh, coming from far, that she was still on her line, so I couldn't uh, chip her. Um, I knew that I had space behind the defense because I knew she wouldn't come off. And the only thing that I I remember was that we have trained on length, 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 get beyond, get beyond, get beyond, because then you create uh, a 1v1 situation with the goalkeeper. Uh, but the way that she did it with her first touch, and, and starting with the with the pass of uh, Denise, Denise, yeah, as if everything everything fell on in in the right place in the right spot, and um, yeah, that was that one moment of magic that we were we were waiting for. Well, that's I mean, that um, seems to be how you know how we've kind of done this. We've had moments of magic uh, in amongst absolutely phenomenal defensive performances. And last night, yeah. Katie McCabe yeah. said it after the game. They love defending for you and for Ireland <laughs> as much as they love scoring for Ireland. It's absolutely amazing how good they are and how committed they are and how they'll put yeah. their bodies on the line, uh, taking balls in the face and everywhere just to make yeah. sure that goal stays protected. 
Yeah, it's a bunch of tigers, but it's also very hard work. And we've worked three years because that is that was the key of our performance. We we had to grow to a situation that we would not get goals against uh, because um, that was before uh, one of the the major issues where we could play well or but one or two moments um, that we made a mistake or that that ball would come in out of nothing. Um, the whole team has grown in that from the goalkeeper to the defensive line to the midfield line, the attacking line. That is the base, the defensive team organization. And from there, we're working to become better in our attacking uh, form. Uh, but this game, the, we analyzed uh, Scotland. We sent three scouts to, uh, uh, of which also my assistant, Tom Elms, to, um, to Glasgow for the game uh, Scotland-Austria. Mm. And uh, with the overview camera, we could see that this was... Uh, what we um, what we had to do, and it, this was the game plan. So her goal is 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 the game plan. Yeah. But, and and the way that we were defended was the game plan. So together with the squad, together with the staff, we've we yeah we're so proud that we actually. Um, yeah, we planned our success. Well, we are so proud and so proud of the journey that you guys have come on together. I remember back September 21 when we beat Australia in, in Tala. That seemed yeah. like a real turning point. And I mean, Louise Quinn has spoken before about how you, you've instilled a lack of fear in, in the girls for playing in these big, important games. You can mm-hmm. see that the journey, the progress, and then last night it all culminated in that performance. Yeah, and I'm proud of that. It's, they say it, but they are doing it. They keep the ball out and they keep the ball out in on the other side. Uh, and without the mentality of them, we would have never got to this stage. So I think it's everybody has contributed, and I'm, I'm um, yeah, I'm doing my best to add my experience and knowledge and and analyzing what we are capable of and getting the best out of us and eliminating what we're not so good at. Um, but that is my job, and that is yeah. Mm, that's why Ireland hired me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why Ireland hired me. But it's been the players uh, who've done it, and don't forget to contribute it to all those women before us, the coaches before me, um, especially Sue Ronan and Colin Bell. I want to name them because um, I stand on their shoulders, and I just went on where they left it, um, and it, it's it's just. It, it all blended together. It was the, the timing. Um, I'm fitting in very well. Uh, they're fitting in, in my mentality. We just belong to each other somehow. Mm, so, mm. yeah, and, and that is so special. That's so special. I will never forget that. The World Cup is a step up. You know, the opponents are going to be a step up. Uh, what's expected, or the expectations will be stepped up. Do you have the resources behind you, do you think, to to prepare the way you'd like to prepare before this big tournament? Uh, do you have the backing um, or do, you, do we still need to to dig deeper into the nation's pockets to get you there, you know, in, in terms of being ready and ready to compete at a serious level? Yeah, well, if I remember my, my talk with the president and the CEO in Frankfurt when they wanted me as a coach and they flew in and they were so honest about the situation of the FAI and honest about what we could do and what cannot do, but the complete determination they had to grow the women's game. Um, that was what made me signing and that is what's still there. The, the uh, I have never felt anything else in dedication and that is something that the players have been fighting for and they earned it. Um, it's not me, they earned that. Uh, in the meantime, we got equal pay, we have our charter to the game 
um, we have the resources that we need. And of course, you always need more. And of course, we are going to make a list how to prepare in the best way we can for the World Cup. Um, but I feel that we get all the support that we need. And if it's not possible, that the people of the board and the management make it possible. And don't forget also all my colleagues in the office. The, the determination what everybody is doing for us and how we get supported. Um, yeah, I, I hope that that's the the view on uh, on this is going to change now because you cannot keep thinking in the past that this team has never had the resource because now mm. now we have well it, it, it's not it's not like Germany or England but where we are and and taking into account the situation of the FAI and also the financial situation we are getting all the support that they can give us. That's good to hear because, I mean, I, I coach under nine girls. I had 31 girls last night all staying up. <laughs> uh, not in my house. Oh, on your own? No, definitely not. <laughs> That'd be terrifying. But they were all staying up in their own houses to watch the game even though it was a school night and the, the WhatsApp group was flying pictures yeah, of everybody watching it. Watch that that so nice yeah, yeah, I was sitting in bed with my daughter. She's 11 and she has traditionally been reluctant to get into sports but in the recent months she's mad into it and I just oh. couldn't help but feel that watching this with me and you know learning the players names and all that was mm -hmm. it's kind of you know coding her brain for stuff that an enthusiasm for sport that she'll now bring forward well, for the next 100%. couple of years and every other little girl yeah, watching because your their favorite boy. players now are not no offense to them but they're not Robbie Brady and they're not Callum Robinson their favorite players now are Katie McCabe and they are mm. Courtney Brosnan and that's the thing and they, <laughs> they know those names and they know who Vera Powell is and that's the important thing as well <laughs> is that they know that uh, that it's it the women's game is is you know is is rising on the rise and they can absolutely have heroes and have uh, you know role models who are currently out there playing for Ireland and now we're going to the World Cup Vera it is an absolutely <laughs> but, incredible but you know achievement yeah but you know what that is the ultimate goal of elite sport that um, the athletes inspire the next generation, that you show to people, if you're really, really determined to get somewhere, that anything is possible. And I, I think that that is what we've showed. And that is also what what the unbelief on the pitch, we we didn't know what to do with ourselves. Um, with all the mixed emotions, with um, where we were coming from, and that we've done what we've set for ourselves after the Ukraine game two years ago that we lost with a, a, by an own goal and not making a penalty kick and so unfair, but that sport is not fair. And we said to each other, we are going to that World Cup. We stick together, we mm -hmm. stick together, we are going to the World Cup. And, and that is to inspire all those girls that you can achieve anything. And it's so nice to hear what you say because that is, at the end, that is why... Um, the government why uh, the association is putting so much money in it because um, it's not just about us it's not about those 23 women who want to achieve, achieve something it is about inspiring a whole nation and I feel that here in Ireland that that is truly truly coming from very deep down inside and that everybody feels it that everybody's with us and the support that we get is phenomenal that is 
yeah, I, I've never, I've never experienced that anywhere in the world. Well, we know that you will have the team fully prepared for the World Cup. We've no doubt about your abilities to prepare them. We are Thank a little you. bit worried about their abilities to prepare you because Amber this morning was talking about partying last night and maybe you've got a <laughs> steep learning curve on that, Vera. Vera was one of those people that, you know, she never knew how the Irish really, really celebrated things. So I think she got a wee introduction last night of, <laughs> of how we done things. And I don't know what kind of state she's in today, but I think... She's well, she's well aware of how we, we take things very, very seriously here. Yeah. <laughs> there you go, Vera. So, <laughs> did you have a good time last night? Yeah, it was so lovely. It, but it also, even that, the, it was a party for us. Not with all kind of um, important people around us. Yeah, of course, the president and the CEO were there and, and the football director. But they are part of us. And that is what we feel now. I think that is the difference with the past. The, the, the board and the management is with us and not against us or somewhere else and trying to do something. They're really supporting us, so they're part of us. And that party was, yeah, also that it's so genuine, it's so pure, it's so coming from deep down inside uh, that and, and the players, the way that they deal with each other, with the staff, it's, yeah, it, it's absolutely something that is warmth I think warmth that is the mm. best word that I feel mm. constantly finally Vera obviously you're a household name here now um, what are, are, the, are your your home country men and women aware of your incredible success here it's yeah not, not really but it starts now um, I will go keep the coaching with from Ada immediately send a message to our um, let's say the RTE yeah. of the Netherlands, NOS. Um, like, be aware, this is what's happening here. <laughs> so now I'm receiving phone calls also from the Netherlands. It's been in all the papers. Um, but yeah, they did. They needed a little bit of help. <laughs> I think they start. <laughs> I think they start to be aware of what's happening here and and the impact that it has on the nation and the impact that it has on little children and and, and what you just said, mm. the perspective that they now feel that well, they that they have the heroines and, I and think not only the boys. You should tap into that uh, army of orange F1 fans um, and they look like they'll go and support anything as long as as long as there's good vibes there so maybe we can get that Dutch army of F1 fans tuned in as well. That would be unreal. Vera Pau, thank you. We are so grateful. We are so proud of you and so proud of the girls in green. Well, it was an... Can I thank the can I thank the support and the people in Ireland for everything that they they did for the team and that they did for me uh, because they have kept me on my feet in difficult times over the last uh, weeks and um, a year that that I wanted to end as quickly as possible turned into a year that I will never forget and that um, has yeah this this comes far away from everything that I've experienced in the last weeks and because of the support of Ireland because of the people in Ireland uh, because of my players who've carried me and helped me through these times and yeah it is um, I have no I I just have no words for the way that I feel I wish I was Irish I wish I had an Irish passport well just let you know you absolutely are Irish now we've adopted you the Dutch are not getting you back you can go back in time and look at Jack Charlton that fellow was as Irish as anybody else even though he was an Englishman so no we definitely are embracing you into our hearts you are Irish Vera Pau Tony Tony Cascarino can play for Ireland Vera Pau is definitely getting a passport Vera congratulations enjoy the celebrations and the preparation for the World Cup we'll follow you every step of the way Thank you.
Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Bye, Vera. Bye-bye. 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 The story. Today FM. Each week we get someone on the line. Sometimes they're famous, sometimes they're a Today FM listener who is about to become famous. <laughs> uh, we don't mind, just as long as it's a good story and you enjoy telling it. Katrina McConnell is on the line. Hello, Katrina. Hello, how are you? We're very well. Delighted to talk to you. We've been trying to get a hold of you because you've got one <laughs> heck of a story. <laughs> it involves wedding days and helicopters. We'll just let you tell it. What's been happening for you? Yeah, it's been a little bit crazy. <laughs> I got married on Saturday and then um, got a helicopter to the All-Ireland semi-final <laughs> on Sunday, so yeah, it's busy. Now, busy we should say, you're not one of those, you know, Celtic Tiger people who got married on a Saturday, <laughs> then took a helicopter to go and see the All-Ireland semi-final. You're actually playing it, so let, let's get to all this. Go back in time and tell us about getting married. Who did you get married to, and what was the day like on Saturday? Um, so, yeah, I got married on Saturday, got married to Darren, and um, uh, yeah, we had a great day on Saturday, it was brilliant. Where was it on? Um, it was on in the sleeve rustle over in Cavan. Oh, lovely, lovely. All right, so you're yeah, from Monaghan, yeah. are you? I'm from Monaghan, yeah. And Darren? He's the same, yeah. He's, he's the same. He's done a mind. Yeah. Okay, all right. So you're getting married, so you're over the thing. How many people did you have at the wedding? We had around 250 at the wedding. Lovely. That's a big old, yeah. Yeah, that's a big big old bash, that is. A popular pair. Yeah. Uh, and knowing then <laughs> that you had the responsibility of playing in the All-Ireland semi-final on the Sunday, I assume... You got the head down, maybe what, eight, nine o'clock at night? Uh, no, a little bit later than that. <laughs> Go on, how late? <laughs> oh, I, don't, I think it was around, it could have been around four o'clock, four a.m. <laughs> <laughs> right, so you had the full wedding experience, four a.m., the bride nodded off to sleep. And then yeah. what happened on the Sunday? Yeah, so I got up, set the alarm for around half eight, nine o'clock, got up, had a bit of breakfast, had a bit of crack around the hotel, and then headed off a helicopter picked me up around 12 o'clock so <laughs> and yeah. then, you had all this pre-arranged obviously um, why a helicopter and how come the two things happened so close together and did you ever see this clash in your diary happening um, well no I suppose we had the wedding booked um, well before we got the fixtures for this year but um, we didn't really think too much about it until I suppose we got we had a lot of games to play and then after we won the Ulster final it was reality that it was going to happen so um, yeah there was nothing we could do so we just had to go in it we were just lucky as I, I was saying before that it didn't happen on the Saturday they matched so that would have been a bit of a yeah what would you have done in that situation would you have gone done the vows and then taken the helicopter <laughs> oh yeah I probably would have you yeah. probably would have been <laughs> so where was the match on it was a home game for us, so it was in Dunamine. In Dunamine, right. So what's the journey time? Uh, you know, usually we'd ask in a car from Sleeve Russell to uh, Dunamine, but what's, what's the helicopter journey time? It only took us maybe around 20 minutes or so. 20 yeah. minutes to get ah, yourself. Yeah. That's the way to travel. You're going to be spoiled rotten now. You'd be expecting to arrive at every game in a helicopter. <laughs> yeah, no, did, one off. <laughs> did you fly over your own house? I did, yeah, yeah. I, oh, there's um, nothing like it, is there? <laughs> yeah, but we lived just beside the football pitch, so um, he kind of went that way and flew over me home. I see how my sisters were standing outside. They were on the way to the match, so they were just picking up stuff at the house and I could see them standing I mean, outside waving. <laughs> it's a brilliant kind of uh, flex on the opposition, isn't it? 
You know, yeah, that, like yeah. they're 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 getting ready. They're getting the coach up to, to play against Dunamine, <laughs> and they pull into the car park, and the steward goes, "Sorry, just hang on there one sec. Our star player Katrina is arriving now." And then, <laughs> yeah, down she comes. Like this is how she comes to every game. Yeah, no, wee bit of extra pressure on me, I suppose. Yeah, where, yeah. Yeah. where did you land? Thinking, who's this one coming? Um, so we have two pitches in Dunamine, so we landed down on the train and pitched down. Right, right, right. Okay, so you had a few hours sleep, Max, yeah. and you arrived by helicopter. As you say, a lot of pressure on you, you know, making that kind of an entrance. You better yeah. deliver on it. Uh, <laughs> how did you play? What was the final score against Kilmacud Croaks? Um, yeah, so we beat them in the end by, I think it was, around seven points. Yeah, no, I didn't play too bad, yeah. You didn't play too bad. You're being very, very modest there. So it was 111 to seven points. How many points yeah. did you score for Dunamine? Um, I think it was around seven. It was the same as Kill McCoy in Croke's entire team scores, <laughs> is what it was. So, well done. Obviously, the, the late night in the hotel breakfast and the helicopter flight didn't really do anything to you, did it? No, not at all. No, no. <laughs> so you're in the final now. Yeah, on the way to Crow Park, yeah, we're delighted. Yeah. Who are you playing? We are playing uh, Kilbairn, Clonbairn from Galway. Oh, right, and uh, might there be a bit of rivalry between you guys? Yeah, a little bit maybe, yeah. We played them last year down in Galway, so, and they got one over on us then. So, yeah, a little bit of revenge. But no, we're looking forward to it, and yeah. Well, look, head down I, for the next two weeks and look forward to it. This is football, right, as opposed to camogie, is it? Oh yeah, it's a lady yeah. football. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look, you're the 20 in a row Monaghan champions, don't mind. So you know, it's all yeah. there for you. Just go and get 20 in a row. <laughs> yeah. I mean, would you not give someone else a chance now? She's getting a helicopter in for matches. There's no way they're losing. No, Fairness. not a, no, not a hope. <laughs> Katrina, fair play. We love it. love the attitude. Love the competitive spirit. <laughs> and do you play for the county as well? Uh, no, I used to a few years ago, but no, I gave up in 2018 when I had my daughter. Media. Okay, yeah, too much commit- time commitment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And not enough helicopters. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, no helicopters back then. <laughs> are, are you Katrina Murnahan now or Katrina McConnell? Oh, that's the debate. I haven't decided yet. <laughs> so you're born McConnell. And yeah. you just decide whether or not you want Murnahan. Yeah. yeah. It's a decision, all right. It's a decision. I don't think I have a choice at this stage. Maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> Katrina, what an amazing story. We are so glad mm. that the wedding went well. The helicopter flight was flawless and you, you scored seven points then to win the game. Are you going to get to go on honeymoon anywhere? Uh, yeah, we might just yeah, go away for a few days. But yeah, no, we'll not go anywhere too far. Yeah, just take, take the chopper. Oh, like, yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you know what's going to happen. You'll wake up like two days into the honeymoon and suddenly you'll just give him a nudge in the bed and go, I've got a match in two hours. <laughs> Get me back from, <laughs> yeah, from the Maldives. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Katrina, great to talk to you. Congratulations. Thank you. Sit down. Have you got a cup of tea? Because you'll need it for this. This is just incredible. It's been It's been four years since we got an email in to Dermot and Dave at todayfm.com a forlorn email from a chap called Chris Coleman he'd met someone but it hadn't quite gone to plan so obviously we gave Chris a buzz and had a chat about it I was out Saturday night with a group of friends in the Prince Baron at home and I met this lady her name was Katrina and uh, I missed or didn't catch some of the information um, <laughs> can you describe her to us she's about 5 foot 6 blonde hair after that, after that is hazy. This is where you're supposed to say, say she's stunningly beautiful. <laughs> oh yeah, and very beautiful. Right, come on, <laughs> come on, Chris. Well, look, you're right to follow up these Absolutely. leads. You know, she could be the one. If you, if you don't go, you'll never know. If you don't go, you'll never know. Well, Chris did go to Dermot and Dave, and then through the magic 
of the Today FM listeners, we tracked Katrina down. And this is the moment they first spoke. Hi, Chris. Hi, Katrina. <laughs> the excitement. Hi, Chris. Hi, Katrina. <laughs> and then what happened is we sent them on a date. This is amazing. We sent Chris and Katrina on a date. Would you be on for meeting up the two of you? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, how about this, right? We we will we will get you guys a dinner date. See how you get on, but you have to come back and tell us how the date goes. Okay. All right? Okay. Yeah. That's the deal. Chris, you managed to track this girl down after two weeks of searching. Uh, what would you like to say to her before your hot date? I will. I think I'll leave it all for this. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, that, what she said, was about four years ago. Today's a big day for Chris Coleman and Katrina Keane, and they both join us on the line now. Good morning, friends. Good morning. Katrina, tell everybody what's happening today. We're getting married. Yeah! Yeah! (laughs) This is just phenomenal. So, after four years, Chris Coleman, of thinking to yourself, how can I find this woman I met on a night out in Athlone? I know, I'll ask Dermot and Dave. You're marrying her? Yes, I can't believe it. It's a little over three and a half hours away and it's still um, still on cloud nine about it. <laughs> and it's all thanks to Dermot and Dave. <laughs> well, we can put you together. You guys actually have to get on and decide to get married. <laughs> Katrina, um, like for a lot of people listening, this will sound like a, the plot of a rom-com. And in a lot of situations in real life versus what you'd create for, you know, something like Hollywood, you'd kind of go, ah, yeah, but like, we met up and sure then we didn't really get on the end and it was lovely and all, but sure that was the end of it. But this is like, this is taking the shape of a full-on Hollywood rom-com. Yeah, it has. It's, it's been amazing. I didn't expect at the beginning it was just to go with the flow, see how it goes, and here we go today. Yeah, and tell us about the engagement. When did that happen? That happened uh, a year ago yesterday. A year ago yesterday. I like it. And uh, Chris, what was your plan around the engagement? Did you have an elaborate rose petal scenario? Well, that was the plan, but unfortunately the dreaded C word that I'm not going to mention um, kicked in and kind of spoiled a lot of my plans. But we got there below in in the woods in Ballymahan. We got there eventually. woods in Ballymahan. (laughs) <laughs> Sounds romantic. <laughs> and Katrina, um, was there any part of you who at any point of this whole thing kind of thought, it's a bit weird this fella's tracking me down off the radio, like? I thought it a bit weird at the beginning, but didn't pass my sheet to it. I thought, should I give it a go, see how it goes? <laughs> well, and it's gone fairly well, because here you are, four years later, about to get married, as Chris said, in about three and a half hours' time. Uh, and how's the preparations going this morning, Katrina? Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Who, who's there with you? Uh, the beautician, the hairdressers, um, the family and friends. Amazing. And where is it all happening? It's all happening here in my home house in Ballycroy. In Ballycroy, right. And then the wedding later on, summer beautiful. Uh, we're getting married in Ballycroy Church and then we're making our way to Bracey and Castlebar for party the night away. Oh, that'll be nice. <laughs> Yeah, and Chris, have you had any say in any of these wedding plans, or is it all Katrina? No, we we I think we divided it out even enough between the two of us. I think we <laughs> we planned it together. I think it was kind of a joint <laughs> adventure. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and like uh, it's just it is amazing that 
uh, kind of, you know, a raucous night out in Athlone can lead to a situation where you find someone who you're absolutely attracted to but forget to get their your hands on their on their details and all you have is a vague description of a five foot six blonde girl. <laughs> but, but it's paid off. It's worked. You came to the right, you know, the romance detective agency that is Dermot and Dave, and here we are. Here we are, exactly. Four and a half years later. Well, look, on the big day, Chris, you know, having having tracked Katrina down in this unorthodox but beautifully romantic way, what do you want to say to your bride-to-be? Obviously, you can't see her this morning. Have you got anything you want to say to her before you see her at the church? Just, I love you to bits, Katrina, and see you in a couple of hours. Oh, <laughs> Katrina, are you still there? Or are you falling down? Oh, your phone signal's gone. Right, you probably said something really romantic back, Chris, but we'll never hear it because <laughs> the, the hair dryers are on full blast. And you probably can't hear a word we're saying. Come here, Chris and Katrina. We absolutely love this story. We love the fact that you came to Dermot and Dave, Chris, to try and track down Katrina. It paid off. Here you are, getting married. Have an absolutely beautiful day and a beautiful life together. Fair play to the two of you. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right, guys, enjoy the day. Uh, hopefully we'll see you when we get back from back America. From, are you going on your honeymoon? Yeah. Oh, whereabouts? We're heading for Orlando. Lando, that's a nice place to do it. Now, right, well, enjoy Florida and the sunshine. Come back and, yeah, we'll, we'll be in touch then after that. Oh, definitely. <laughs> All right, Chris. All right, Katrina. See you guys. Thank you. Bye. 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 The story. Today FM. We asked somebody to tell us an amazing story. And Paul Lally, who's the captain of Baldoyle United, over 35 side in North Dublin, <laughs> has got a hell of a story to tell. How are you, Paul? How you doing, damn it? I'm great. Tell us about what's been going on with you and who you've been hanging around with. Ah, uh, just... Few, few celebrities here and there. <laughs> well, first of all, tell us about the Baldoyle over 35s because you guys won a big cup at the weekend. Yeah, we um, played in the cup final there on Saturday in uh, the Jim Bourne Cup final and uh, we beat Ashbourne 3 1. Ah, uh, round of applause for the lads. Did you score? I was no, I was coaching. I was coaching. Uh, Mark Garrity and Keith Cowan and Baz Candy got a bit of a 25-yard thunderbolt. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> Brilliant. And what's the standard like over 35s? Obviously, if you guys are winning it, you must be fairly good. But what's it like in general? Oh, yeah, yeah. It'd be tough, yeah. Now, we would be, um, I think we're two leagues down the top. But the top league now would be very, very tough. Um, have you any bangers, uh, Paul? Have any lads who are, yeah. like, who are like 22 going, oh, I'm 35, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you wouldn't get away with that. <laughs> you have to give you your old ID cards before the games and stuff. Okay, so, um, and okay. What's the oldest person on your team? Um, oh, I have to guess that one. I think it might be Mark Murphy, who uh, who was the reason for this call. Oh, right. So tell us about Mark Murphy. Mark Murphy is manager of a very famous pop star. Mark will be yeah, uh, he's manager of uh, Ollie Morris. Um, so Mark was playing. And uh, actually on Friday night he was in Manchester at a gig for Ali and they flew in Saturday morning. Ali came over to show support for Mark and obviously the whole squad. And he certainly so, did. And uh, there's a lovely video doing the rounds of Ali singing the famous, world famous Bal Doyle chant. Have a listen to this.
is the lads making the video were quite happy that they were they were finished. And Ollie Burns is like Bal and he jumped back straight in with another round of it. That was brilliant. So and then how was oh. Ollie, Paul? Yeah, Ollie was in good form. He um he obviously came to the game there and done an awful lot of photos. I don't even know if he got to watch it because I think he done that many photos and autographs. <laughs> um, but he came back down to the race course and we had a bit of a uh, nice bit of celebrations, as you can hear there. Yeah, absolutely. And the race course in is a spot where you'll find not just Ollie Murs but also Mr. Nicky Byrne. Because as soon as uh, it was, it became apparent we were talking to you today. Nicky Byrne was on to me to say that, that when I'm talking to you to make sure that he, that all, we let Ollie know that the race course in is his patch and not Ollie's. <laughs> <laughs> well, why, oh, yeah, yeah. Why don't we um, see what Ollie Murs himself has to say about that? Because he's on the line. <laughs> Hello, Ollie Murs. Morning, what's happening, hey! Hey! Oh, Listen, I can't believe Paul Lally's on here taking credit for the win at the weekend. He did nothing. He did absolutely nothing. Mark Murphy called me and said, look, like, we've had a shocking season. We need you to manage the team for the finals so they can get over the line. So you, you came over and did the job, Ollie. Big Sam. <laughs> nah, it was amazing. It was a, it was a great weekend. Um, it was lovely to go out and come over and support Paul and the boys. And, uh, yeah, it was amazing. Great atmosphere, great team, great team spirit. And yeah, as, as, as Paul said, though, did you get to see any of the game? You were just doing selfies and signing <laughs> autographs for everybody? No, no, I got to watch most of the game. Everyone was quite respectful and they all waited until half time or full time for photos and stuff. But um, I'd say nah, that. It, it was a great atmosphere, a great bunch of lads. And, um, you know, I'm delighted for them. You know, they've had a great season and, you know, over 35, you know, fair play to, to go on and win a title. And a, <laughs> a little, you know, a little a little cup for the for the win. So yeah, well done. I'd say the crowd at Baldoyle thought that they were they were seeing a Wrexham happening all over again in Ireland, where <laughs> Ollie Murs has now bought Baldoyle FC and is coming in to take it up to the next league. Oi, listen, I'm over 35. Who knows? I might be coming over and making an appearance next season. Who knows? <laughs> and come it. here, Paul. Paul, you're still there. You haven't fallen down and yeah, shot. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's still there, yeah. <laughs> you can have it out with Ollie, Ollie now. You Ollie, I don't know if you make the squad, pal. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that you can't. <laughs> now, Ollie, you, you were in the race course in, of course, the famous Baldoyle pub, and Nicky Byrne uh, was on to me straight away to let you know that that's his territory. He now is flying to London this morning as part of his Westlife tour. He wants to find your local, and he wants to go there and put him... In fact, would you believe this? Nicky Byrne's on the phone. How are you, Nicky? Good morning, Ireland. Good morning. Good morning. I'm live in Birmingham and I'm hearing that I've got some pop star taking over my patch. What is going on? I leave for five minutes. Amazing. Love it, Nicky. Love it. Uh, so what Ollie, how are you getting on? Listen, Ollie, what you need to do now, okay? You need to tell me your local. Cause I, I, is it Essex? Are you from Essex? Mate, you need to go to the... You know, you need to go to Sheesh in Essex. That's my local. Sheesh? Yeah. Google it. Go on to go on to Instagram and have a look. You'll get a nice Turkish, nice, nice bit of grub. Right. And okay. They do a great okay. daiquiri. They do a great strawberry daiquiri in there, Nikki. You'll like it. <laughs> well, well, I just I'll put it on your tab, okay? Is that okay? Because I've got a tab in the race course. Of course you can, Nikki. Anytime. <laughs> I think if Ollie's local is called Sheesh, you must have got the fright of your life when you went into the ra- to the race course, <laughs> the race horse oh, in. No, it's, that, a great, that, it's a great pub. Great pub. Great vibe. That coming down a few notches for you, Ollie. She sounds very upmarket. 
No, listen, um, no, listen, at that pub, the race course, great memories yeah. in there. I've been there before, so it was um, nice to go and celebrate with the boys after the game. So, uh, and the burger and, was decent, to be Oh, fair. that's good. And Nicky and Ollie, have you guys played together in any of those, like, soccer aid games yeah. written? Yeah, we have. Yeah, what do you think? Nicky scored a worldie at, soccer, at Old Trafford a few years back. Oh, he, he, hasn't, yeah. he hasn't stopped talking about that. We all know. <laughs> I think, I think that, you know, I think we probably kicked each other a fair few times on that old trapper pit down through the years as well, which, <laughs> which has been good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, nah, it's a lot, a, lot of fun, a, lot, a lot of fun doing that. But you're on tour at a minute, Nicky, are you? We kick off this on tours in Aberdeen. So uh, I'm actually in Birmingham now in, uh, in rehearsals with the lads. So um, oh, I'm in this morning. Actually, I don't know if you said it earlier on, boys, but... But Paul Lally's a taxi man. He actually dropped me to the airport at 5 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> Paul's got very silent. As soon as Nicky and Ollie came on, Paul hasn't said a word. Get a word in Edwards with a pair of them. <laughs> did he give you a tip? <laughs> did, did uh, oh, did, yes, he did give me a tip. Yeah, nice tip. Good. Thank you, Paul. Ah, glad to hear it. Absolutely, got to look after each other, lads. And uh, come here, Ali. You're coming. I guess we're we're swapping. We're sending Nikki away, and we're we're bringing you to Ireland. So you're going to be playing uh, over the summer. Yeah, I'm going to be back over coming next year in Cork, and um, yeah, I think there's a couple other dates I'm doing. So yeah, looking forward to it. It's going to be great. Brilliant. Right. Well, when you come in, you come in here to us. We'll get Nikki in. We'll get Paul in. We'll all have an arm wrestle and see who's the best of football. <laughs> <laughs> lads, thanks so much for jumping on the line this morning. Thank you. All the best. All the best. And Paul Lally, well done on winning the uh, very important Jim Byrne Cup with Baldo United yeah. over the weekend. And best of luck to hey, Nikki. Yeah, yeah, go on, go on. Oh, you were just saying cheers, boys. See you later, Paul. Bye, bye. Listen back to more from the Dermot and Dave Show on todayfm.com. Dermot and Dave. Weekday mornings from 9 on Today FM.